1: Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Out high to Nurse, he shoots and scores. Slow, slow start to the first for the St. Louis Blues. And the Edmonton Oilers, a 1-0 lead, 13-53 to play in the first period. Parasenko, far side, they go. Shen, shooting, it's on goal! O'Reilly, he scores! Swats it, the rebound, and it goes in! The captain is on the board with his first goal of the year. McDavid comes out with it to Nugent Hopkins, they score! On the feed from McDavid, Nugent Hopkins flips it over the pad of Bennington. And the Oilers have made it 2-1. to one. Oilers win it here in St. Louis. Blues a fall by a score of 3-1. to one. They've lost two in a row, and they're now 1-1 one one on home ice. How
3: did Ron Burgundy say it? I'm in a glass case of emotion. That's how I felt last night in that Blues loss to the Edmonton you were pretty Oilers. Antsy last it was night. very antsy. That's what happens when you get games. Over. They get you really, uh, really going and the excitement, the anxiety, you know, you want to go 82 and 0, but unfortunately that's not the case anymore. Our math was wrong. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario and Alexa Dat of Valley Sportsman West is in with us today And the perfect time to have Alexa in studio because we've got tons of blues. We've got tons of Cardinals to get into. Katie Wu is going to be joining us a little bit later. Joe Vitali. So we are with you from 11 to 2 today and Alexa, let's start with last night's loss, the second. Straight loss for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, even strength goals have really dried up for this team. Coincidentally, once the Pavel Buchnevich and the Brandon sod injuries comes into play, the Blues begin to flounder looking for offense at even strength. Now they're still scoring power play goals. They've only lost two games, but. You could tell last night that this team is still searching for that chemistry on the offensive side, especially in those top two lines for Craig Berube.
4: Of course, and I think a big reason why is because you have guys that are a huge factor in those top lines who are injured. So Buchnevich and Saad not being available right now is... An issue where they're trying to figure out chemistry with the lines. Baruby is, is changing the lines up mid game, trying to get something going and honestly, I think it worked really well last night because you saw that energy carry over from the PK. Ryan O'Reilly ends up scoring that power play goal. You have Kairu Thomas, and Tarasenko working together. I thought Barbashev, O'Reilly, and Shen were a great combination as well. So Baruby's trying to do as much as he can to create any sort of consistency offensively and I think that that it's imperative that these guys try and figure it out sooner rather than later although I'm not in freak out mode yet I'm not sending the alarm bells off it's five games also they have that wonky schedule to begin the yeah. season remember they didn't even start playing all the rest of the league it's like being you know watching and waiting when you book a vacation at the end of the summer and you watch oh, on Instagram worse. everyone else go on oh, vacation yep. and she you're just sitting at your cubicle and everyone else is like they're in the Maldives they're like you know, hiking with BK. They're at the beach it is like working and you're with just BK. waiting <laughs> and waiting and you can't get it out of your mind. And then all of a sudden, okay, now it's our turn. You're like, well, what did I just do all summer? Now I get to go on vacation? Okay, fine. I guess, yeah, I'll go on vacation. It's fun. Everyone
3: else is back now I'm going freaking on vacation. It's a good comp because that is what it feels like. I, I mean, you're watching these teams create offense you're watching the mcdavids and the dry on the opposite side and you're thinking what's wrong with this blues team and you know everyone's talking about the depth of scoring and oh that's dried up i thought this was supposed to be good and i said this on post game last night the depth of scoring it was good last season because you were like 30 games in when you had to call these guys up and you had the matthew peckas and the nathan walkers coming up and scoring goals you're like whoa minor league system is pretty darn good for the blues the minor league system hadn't played that much. Your team hasn't played that much. It's still trying to figure it out. But I do think the the main piece of that even strength scoring drought for this team is what Craig Berube said last night, talking about five on five play.
2: You know, there's looks, I'm, you know, there's chances. We're getting chances. But, uh, you know, sometimes you go through um, spells like this and you got to just stick with it. I mean, you got to simplify it a little bit more maybe and again I'll, I'll say it again get it on the inside like that's where you're going to get your goals you know a lot of times so I think that um, you know we had a lot of good looks and we missed the net on a lot of good looks so that's one area we can you know get better at um, is hitting the net a little bit more and you know again like creating second and third opportunities around the net a little bit more
3: going to the front of the net alexa and if you look at the expected goals that they've had this season so far it's the middle of the pack in the nhl and they've played two or three games less than a lot of these teams, the the, the the heat map last night of the shots where they were taken for the Blues, they were around the front of the net, but it was one and done for this team, and if you're looking for ways to break out of your offense, if you're Ryan O'Reilly, who's only scored one goal on the season, or Jordan Cairo, or Robert Thomas, rather than finding those fancy shots at 5-on-5, five five, it's just finding ways to go to the front of the net.
4: That's right. It's bodies in front of the net. It's being more aggressive. It's pushing the pace. Ryan O'Reilly said it. They came out in that first period stale last night, mm-hmm. and Bruby echoed it and saying the first period was not great. Listen, you were facing an Oilers team who had played all of their games on home ice. This was their first road game. They came into the building with tons of energy, and the Blues didn't match it in the first period, but I thought their second and third period energy was much better. They were much more physical much more aggressive and that's what Barubi wants to see now listen the first time they saw the oilers on saturday they played their first complete game of the season 60 minutes of solid hockey yeah. so for you to say they played two strong periods last night and three strong periods on saturday five out of six i'll take that against a playoff team especially when you don't have um Vucinevic and Saad right now
3: yeah well and that's it the winnipeg jets loss with the exception of that third period where penalty problems really put you in a bind because you were in the box so much you couldn't create offense, you were in that hockey game one nothing. The first period was not good last night. But you outshot Edmonton in the second and third period. What was it? 36 to 17. Like they
4: outshot them. They outhit hit them. They they did were, everything. I mean, they were better. The, yeah. the,
3: the Corsi rating was in favor of the Blues. That was the element that you looked at and you said, OK, you started to build off of it, but it is finding the back of the net. Here's the other thing, though, Alexa, we can sit here as fans and watch this team and say, stop with the excuses. The offense is bad right now. Yeah,
5: They're never going to score
3: again. Probably five not. Five, That's never. how this seems to be. But if you would have told me, Alexa, coming into the season that, hey, the biggest issue for your team five games in is going to be offense because injuries have kicked in and you're not scoring five on five goals. My response would have been, how's my goaltending and how's my defense? Right. And if you were to tell me that it's been perfect or as good as you can ask it to be, I'd be celebrating right now because my bigger concern was how is Bennington going to be? And what does this defense look like? And once again, we saw it last night. Their defense, I think, is going to be really good this season. And Bennington looks like a guy who's going to be in the Vezina conversations.
4: So interesting because also preseason, we were talking about at the trade deadline, what would be the biggest piece they would add? And everyone across the board was like, well, a defender for mm-hmm. sure. Jacob that defense, Chikrin. That's right. That defense is going to have the holes in it. They're going to, you know, you're going to see other teams exploit this defense and score a ton of goals. That's not the case. Mm-hmm. So now you have Letty Pareko, who are going to create amazing chemistry for the entire season together. And Krug and Falk, Mikael and Bartuzzo, uh, These pairings have been so strong for this team. The, the penalty kill, 11 for 11 to start the season. They are a perfect 100% on the PK. Special teams has been excellent. So if the only thing you're looking for is more offense on 5-on-5, five five, that's the easiest thing to fix in hockey. It is the easiest thing to work on in practice to get these guys, you know, consistently being more physical, more aggressive, picking up the pace, you know, really giving it to them. That, to me, is going to be the biggest difference and the and, and the least concerning thing for the Blues.
5: Yeah, I'm not concerned at all, really, about this team because the defense was, I was one of those people that was very skeptical of the defense and the goaltending coming into the season. And in the two games, Alexa mentioned that the Blues have won five of the six period against a playoff team in the Edmonton Oilers. The defense has been really good. Nick Letty's been awesome against awesome. the Edmonton Oilers. Cole Braco has been good. Justin Falk and Tory Krug looked a little off again, in my opinion, last night. The third pairing was pretty good. So the fact of the matter that the defense has been really good for this team, minus just kind of that jet lag game in Winnipeg at the end of a road trip The third period just got to them. I, I've been surprisingly kind of, excited about the defense this season because it's looked so good. And Jordan Bennington looks like Jordan Bennington that we've seen in the playoffs. So the five on five is not a concern for me. I think it ties into, as we were talking about lack of games, lack of the chemistry being built up and also the injuries that are playing a part of this, because when this team is healthy, we talked about it all year long. They're still going to be really good in their top nine. And the fourth line looks pretty solid as well. When you get a Chari Walker or not Walker, excuse me, uh Barbie might get bumped down to that fourth line. Mm-hmm. You're going to have Torbchenko who's had some pretty good games as well. So, the fact that five-on-five five is their biggest issue issue right now, I have no concerns. I think this team is ultimately going to be end up really good at the end of the year, and my prediction of them not being a uh, top-three team in this division has changed based on what I've seen from the defense and the goaltending in just the first five games. At even
3: strength this season, there are only five teams better, according to MoneyPuck.com, that have a lower expected goals against Calgary, Ottawa, Florida, the Devils, the Hurricanes. They are the second best team in the Western Conference playing five games, one less than a majority of those teams and expected goals against. And uh, we'll end it on this because I know people hear this and say, oh, you're making excuses you can see the difference when Pavel Buchnevich is not on the ice for this team of course you can see the difference with Thomas and Tarasenko you can see the difference on the power play and you can see the defense as a 200 foot game because he is so impactful of a player people don't like it everyone deals with injuries but when you take that big of a piece out of your lineup you're going to struggle offensively so again if there's one area I'm not concerned about, as Alexa said, it's five on five. You'll figure that out. Everything else, it's right where I expected it to be this season, and that is a good thing for the St. Louis Blues. And they got a tough task tonight with the Nashville Predators, a team that is has lost two consecutive games like St. Louis uh, and a team that is uh, a very physical presence team that's going to hit you an awful lot. So we'll see how the Blues respond to that. 7 o'clock puck drop tonight with Curbs and Joey. Joey and I got your pregame starting at 6 o'clock here on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alexa Datton, Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, Ben Heisler, our betting guru going into the football week eight. We will have him on to uh, talk a little bit about some of these NFL games. But coming up next, the Cardinals don't seem to be giving off that vibe of we're changing our offseason approach. But is Nolan Arenado kind of forcing their hand? We'll discuss that next year on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
1: back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
6: I don't think I'd characterize it as because we haven't been in the World Series in a while that, that we're going to rethink our strategy. Um, I think we always into the offseason understanding like what our urgency should be it might not be the same as yours or or maybe public perception but you know we 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 know that we had a successful season we know we did not have a successful October and but I think we all as fans realize like you know no matter how well you play in a season there's no guarantees you're going to have a successful October so you know, we'll certainly uh, try to address the club, try to um, improve it wherever we can, and um, you know, hopefully over the next three or four months, we can call that a
2: success.
3: That was John Mozeliak, Cardinals president of baseball operations, yesterday addressing the media at the end of their team season, and alongside Alexa Datton, Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. It's BK and Ferrario and John Mozeliak. He said, as you just heard, not really rethinking their philosophy as a organization but on the flip side of that he also talked about how payroll is increasing and alexa at the end of that press conference the biggest thing i think for a lot of people was okay john Moselak said they're going to have to fix the catcher spot they're going to have to address the offense find some protection for goldschmidt and Aranato, and the payroll's going up so all of that adds up to they're going to spend some money on some big time free agents But then you hear that cut where it's like, well, we're not also rethinking our philosophy in terms of the draft pipeline, in terms of some of our players coming up through the system and being a part of our team. So it kind of feels like, which is it going into this offseason for this Cardinal squad?
4: I've never heard so many people be more pessimistic when their organization says that they're opening their wallet. Alex, it's wild to me. He's like, we made so much money from you, the fans, for coming to see the show that we put on this season. Now we're going to give back to you, and we are going to bring a team and field a team with so much more money this offseason. Are they going to flip the philosophy? No, they're not going to bring in the most expensive starting pitcher. They're not going to bring in two MVPs to fill holes in their lineup, but they are going to fill immediate needs. And you heard him mention specifically the fact that they need a catcher, possibly another outfielder. There's There are pieces that they are addressing immediately, and they're going to use that money to 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 fill those holes and and that to me is the most exciting piece. We're not waiting until January, February, hanging around, going, "What's this organization going to do?" We know what they are going to do, and we should be excited about that. No, I mean, I, I I don't understand the pessimism. Help me understand it, Alex.
3: Welcome to Cardinals Nation. I think the it's pessimism. It's so
4: confusing to me. I
3: think the pessimism comes, uh, Alexa. And, and here's the thing, though, because Mo has never, unless I'm missing this, Mo has never come out and used the words payroll will increase. Like, usually you kind of go into the offseason and assume Cardinals going to be right back to where they spent last season. And I know the COVID has kind of skewed our expectations of that. But even when Cardinals fans hear that, Alexa, I think the pessimism comes from being, se- being the bridesmaid and never the bride I hear with you, those free agents. But what you just
4: said is he's never said it before. That's where I'm so coming. He's, yeah. he's made sure that everyone's known let's temper your expectations going into this offseason and never come out and said, we're going to spend some money. This time he's doing it. So it's not like he's you know made false claims before and then not followed through on them. This time he's laying down a claim and he's going to follow through on it because it's the first time he said it and he feels strongly about doing it. So I do feel like Cardinals fans should be like, okay, this is huge. Now we're going to take a step forward in terms of competing with the big guys and a lot of these other teams that have these incredible rosters with tons of guys making a lot of money. Now, is everyone going to be making buku bucks? No, that's not the case. But you are going to bring in guys who are going to, one, help this lineup, two, definitely that catcher's role, which is going to be a major Mm -hmm. upgrade uh, from nobody, which is what you have right now. I mean, you have Kisner and Ivan Herrera, but Ivan Herrera is not ready. And and Kisner you don't see as your everyday catcher from the organization's perspective. And, you know, maybe go get another big bat. Adam Wainwright was talking about the fact that they need a leadoff hitter because look at what Philly's done with theirs. Kyle Schwarber has been excellent in terms of hitting home runs, bringing in guys, and that to him stood out as something that he needed to mention in his press conference in terms of getting in Mo's ear and saying, hey, listen, we're seeing what guys are doing over there in terms of advancing in the postseason. We'd like to be on that level too.
3: And I'm glad you brought that up, Alexa, because that's the other thing that they haven't had in the past. A player kind of forcing John Moselock's hand in this circumstance, because if you missed it, the other thing that Mo said was Nolan Arenado. Now he talked about how he went to meet with them. He's got five days post world series to decide if he's going to opt in or opt out of his contract. And there's no restructure of money. According to John Moselock, it's either he's going to be back or he's going to opt out and become a free agent. But that's where I think this plays into what Nolan wants this season. This was Adam Wainwright yesterday. Uh, talking with the media, as Alexa mentioned, of their conversations with Nolan Arenado,
2: Goldie and I have been on him. Hopefully that works out. I think it will. Those guys are...
7: Nolan wants to be here. You know, he wants to win, and he, we give him a great chance to win a World Series every year. Not many teams can say that. We we have a chance every year when we get to spring training to win a World Series.
3: That's true. But I feel like what they have now, Alexa, is Nolan Arenado, And I wasn't in the conversations. Mo didn't give it to us. But I would imagine Nolan's looking at Mo saying... What are we doing to make ourselves more like the Phillies? What are we doing to compete with the Phillies and the Braves and the Dodgers? He was outspoken in the regular season this year saying, I don't want to just get in. I want to win the Central Division. They won the Central Division, but they got bounced on the wild card for the second straight year. I feel like what they have now on top of Mo saying payroll is going to be increasing is a player who's saying, how are we making this team closer to a World Series? Which I don't know if he's had that in the past.
4: Must be nice to feel like you hold all the cards, huh? Right. It's a great feeling because if he
3: doesn't come back, this is an entire offseason. This is an entirely different offseason for John Mozeliak.
4: Oh yeah, you're you're in a bit of a bind. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, so Nolan here holding all the cards because he has the ability to and he's taking ownership of his position and saying I've contributed offensively to this team I'm getting older I was with the Rockies and wanted to leave be traded out of there because I wanted to go to a winning organization I'm now with a winning organization but we only won my first division title in my entire career this year mm-hmm. it's time for us to now take that next step how are you going to do that what pieces are you going to put around us how are you going to support me in this lineup you know because those are all questions that you should ask this is called due diligence this is how every Everyone should approach a job interview, especially when you are in the position to be able to say, okay, I I don't need this job right now. I want this job. So tell me how you're going to make me really want this job and and really succeed here for the goals that I'm trying to accomplish personally and with this team as a unit. So for me, if if I'm Nolan, I'm saying like, okay, so show me what catcher you're bringing in. Show me what big bat you're going to bring in because the combination of Lars Neubauer, Tommy Edmund – Brendan Donovan, you know, uh, Dylan Carlson, I I could go on and on and on with the leadoff hitters that they've tried in terms of, you know, at the top of the, of the lineup, Nolan really wants to know if they're going to be guys on base when he steps up because runners on specialty for him. And it helps not only drive his stats up, helps the team win. So, He's looking at all of these questions and he wants these answers before making a final decision. I just think it's smart business. That's what it feels like to me.
5: I agree. I, I think it's smart business from Nolan Arnato because I truly believe he's coming back because I there would be a market for Nolan Arnato if he opts out. Like I think the Dodgers would have plenty of interest. Any chance to move on from Justin Turner, who's getting older in age and get Arnato who's younger and still in the back end of his prime. I, I think there's a market for him. I don't think there's the contract that he has now that's available for him just because he's an older third baseman the way market plays out in free agency. But I think he is just playing the cards of, hey, I want to know what's happening and kind of using that as leverage. I agree. That's good business. And I think Nolan Arnato sees – uh, kind of what my thought process is on this offseason, if five years down the road we look back on this offseason, it could be the one that the Cardinals can circle and say, this is the one that went, had us go from a good team to a really great team. Because you've got Goldie and Arnato who are on the back end of their prime, still with this organization. I mean, hell, Goldie's going to win the MVP this year. Arnauto's probably going to finish third. Second. Uh, and then you kind of have that gap of, okay, who else is between there? If Walker and Wynn end up becoming the studs that the Cardinals think they are, they're just missing that one other piece. Bring in that third impact bat this offseason, and you're talking about the potential of having studs like, let's say Contreras is the guy they bring in. You've got studs like Goldie, Arnado, Contreras that are the middle of your lineup that make up the next two to three years. Well, Walker starts to slowly become that impact bat. That way there's no rush for him to be that guy. And then you're talking about a lineup that if Walker ends up being the stud quicker than you're thinking about, four four big bats in the middle of this lineup. That's what what good teams have. They have a solid lineup that is one through six. And you look at guys like, I think they're still going to bring in someone like a Brandon Nimmo that can be kind of that lead off top of the order guy that Alexa was talking about, be up there. You add him into this, you add Contreras into this, and then Walker slowly develops, comes up probably two months into the season, and by the next season of 2023 or 2024, excuse me, he's a stud as well. You're talking about a one through five lineup, and part of that is being built in this offseason with the money to spend. So this is a critical offseason for the Cardinals. I think Nolan Arenado sees that, and I think he just wants to kind of go, well, come on, you, you know, you're right there. Just don't put the toe in the water. Just go in, just go make that big splash. I just was jump ex- in.
3: I was expecting this text from the 6'3'6. How demanding can Arenado be? Here? He went one for nine in the postseason with an error that busted open game one. Uh, He could be that demanding because you take Arenado off of this team, you're trending into Brewers territory where uh, I don't know what we're going to be doing this season because now we got to not only fill the holes that were open, but you got to fill the hole that is third base slash second impact bat on your team. So um, may play into it, may not even have a say in this one depending on the opt-out clause, but from everything you're hearing from Mo saying optimism is there, Adam Wainwright, Paul Goldschmidt, my feelings the same as you guys. He's going to be back, but you also have to play into Nolan Arenado. And I heard BT say it on the fast lane yesterday. Um, if, if if I'm if I'm Arenado, I say, put your money or put the cards where your mouth is. I'm going to put one more opt out in my clause for next season to see what you do. Who knows if aronato does it, but, hey, I want my stars doing that with my team uh, to force them to be competitive rather than just kind of stay the way that they have been. Alexa Datt, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, I know the text line's fired up. Send us questions, Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. But coming up next, Ben Heisler to talk Week, week 8 in the NFL here on 101 ESPN. Alexa Dat of Valley Sports Midwest and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in our next segment, we've got questions and answers. So if you've got questions for us, send them over on our Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. We also got Katie Wu joining us at about 115 this afternoon. Joe Vitali from Nashville joining, 115, 1215 for Katie Wu. 1 o'clock for Joe Vitale uh, from Nashville to preview tonight's uh, Blues and Predators game, which starts at 7 o'clock, a 6 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. ESPN, and we're going to be joined by Ben Heisler momentarily, the managing editor over at BetSided, as we get set for week eight of NFL action And Heis. Uh, last week, I didn't really get too excited about a majority of those games, but of course they uh, showed the entertaining factor of it all, and this week I'm going into it, and I'm actually pretty pumped up for some of these matchups. Am I going to get the opposite effect
0: again? Are they going to be boring? I see, you're asking me to completely predict the future and yeah. say the, the ideal games. Are going to be crappy once again, and the non-ideal yeah. games will will show up. Yeah, hi
3: I know uh, you do the happens. betting side of things, but like I'm asking you to tell me: is Week Eight worth watching?
4: He's dressing up as a fortune uh, teller for yeah. Halloween.
3: Medusa, right? Yeah. That's her name. That's not it.
0: Medusa. She's the I snake hair person, right? Fortune teller. Yeah. Listen now. Now all of a sudden you're, you're adding some possibilities to uh, what we might go. I might have to pull an audible at the last minute. The Halloween party that we're planning. <laughs> well, I almost said Medina too. And I'm like, on, that's what not are it you
3: going
4: as? I'm confused.
0: But, I don't even know at this point anymore, but I, I will say that I do think the, the, the slate for this week is going to be relatively compelling. You always seem to get it uh, when it comes to the NFL. I, I think what's actually really interesting is some of the movement that we've seen. Like for tonight, uh, this game opened up for uh, Tampa Bay after losing four straight games uh, against the spread. They're now at home against Baltimore. The Ravens have had the lead in every game that they've played, and now there's been a fairly seismic shift towards the Tampa Bay side. A lot of sharps coming in late on the Buccaneers. And you're also seeing kind of the opposite effect with another quarterback who's a back-to-back MVP in Aaron Rodgers, but it's going the opposite way. We've seen this line move from 10 to Green Bay plus 11. I'm willing to take a stand that the Packers aren't this bad. Uh, I just think it's been just – you've kind of seen the worst of the worst, and it's either going to be a a matchup, I think, where – The Packers find some sort of miracle way to win it, that they rally around Aaron Rodgers calling out everybody but himself, uh, or they get blown out by about 50 points. I don't think there's anything in between for this matchup, but I do think there's some value on the board. These Sunday night games, you don't often see these types of blowouts um, when you're having double-digit spreads against a team that was still projected to win the division. So I I do think there's fairly compelling matchups on the board this week, even if the spreads don't necessarily indicate that they're going to be compelling.
4: Ben, I want to talk about the New York Giants and if this team is actually for real because people keep asking. They're 6-1, and one, taking on the Seahawks. They're at Seattle. Seattle's favored by three. How do you feel about this bet?
0: I, I like Seattle, again, and I ate a lot of crow last week by, by going against the New York Giants. I love the Jacksonville Jaguars at home against one of the luckier teams in the league. And I, I say lucky, and I, I think some people might assume that that's me just saying that they're not any good. The giants are a good team, but there's also circumstances that have worked out in their favor that haven't happened this century. Like coming back from double digit deficits in three of their seven games this year, it just hasn't happened in the second half before, but the giants have found a way to pull it off. And I also think at some point you credit that to good coaching, consistent play um, toughness ability to be able to execute when you need to late in the game. Not every team has that and the giants do, but I also think you need to credit some coaching on the Seattle side as well. What we've seen out of Geno Smith for the longest stretch of his career playing this consistently and this well, uh, the offensive line shoring things up for Kenneth Walker Jr. Who, or, excuse me, Kenneth Walker, the fourth, which by the way, he is averaging a 20 yard run or more less than six times. He touches the ball. That's by far and away the best number in the NFL. So he is a threat to take one to the house pretty much every time he touches it and the giants have some issues on the defensive side of the ball even though they're starting to play better in games. I, I, I think the three going from uh, New Jersey to the Pacific Northwest after they had to go all the way to Jacksonville the week before, I, I think this is finally the week and maybe I'll eat crow again, uh, that the giants fall a little bit flat and uh, just not have enough to be able to slow down. Uh, what I think is a surprisingly talented Seattle squad.
3: Speaking of flat and again, we're talking with Ben Heisler managing editor over at Betside, and we give our guy T-bone a lot of, uh, slack because Ben uh the Rams are terrible this season I
5: nice, say suck
3: and we continue to say that the Rams are terrible this season and now they got a matchup against the NFC West to San Francisco 49ers with the new and improved offense and Christian McCaffrey and this one's sitting right now at a one and a half point spread and the Rams are the underdog I, I like that and honestly I'm a little surprised that it's not higher than that
0: I think there's just an aspect of the Rams at home being slightly more desperate and then also coming off of a buy in Sean McVay's career. He's four and two against the spread coming off a buy, but the other numbers for the Rams in this spot are not particularly good. Uh, McVay in the regular season has lost six straight games against the spread to Kyle Shanahan. And one stat that I came across this week that really caught my attention was in games where Sean McVay is a home underdog, which has only happened six times, or excuse me, five times since he took the job back, I believe, in 2017. Um, He's one in four against the spread, and his margin of victory in those games is around minus 16. So basically, every time in this scenario where McVay has been a home underdog, the Rams not have only lost, but they've gotten their ass kicked. Like, it hasn't been close in a lot of these matchups, and you can't help but wonder why that is. It's a small sample size, but it's also collective... Over the last five, six years, I, I think the 49ers are going to look much better than what we saw from them last week. They were still incorporating some guys that they had just gotten back from injury, Trent Williams being one of them. They still hadn't used Christian McCaffrey uh, in a full opportunity the way that they'll be able to use him this week. And, and the Rams, they're not getting any better. Maybe they're getting a little bit healthier with some rest, but Cam Akers isn't coming back most likely. They're still dealing with injuries to an offensive line that was already shaky to begin the season. I just don't have a lot of positive feelings towards this Rams team right now. And the 49ers have gone into L.A. before, taking care of business, and they've already beaten L.A. at home this year. Maybe it's a little bit closer than people expect, but I I don't have a good vibe right now with this L.A. Rams team. I like the 49ers to cover on the road.
3: Heist, real quick, before Alexa asks her question. Uh, So are you saying there's a potential that the Seattle Seahawks could be better than the Rams by the end of the season?
0: I I think there is a very distinct wow.
4: possibility that the Seattle finish with a better record than the L.A. Rams. Oh, that yes, is beautiful. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I think Tanner's shedding some tears yeah, over here. A little here. bit. Uh, <laughs> He's I'm going really to an emotional get me down roller coaster. On a Thursday. <laughs> Oh, uh, Ben, I want to talk to to you about some of our fans out there who have some money burning a hole in their pocket, but they don't want to throw it away. Right. So a lot of these lines are pretty close this week. Obviously, uh, some of these matchups are, are tight. What to you would be the surefire bet to stay away from something that you're looking at? and You're like, nope, absolutely not. Wouldn't touch it with a tempo pole.
0: It's a really good question. I I'm probably not going to be betting on the London game between Denver and Jacksonville. I know that Russell Wilson is uh, doing calisthenics uh, <laughs> walking up and down the airplane, which by the way, like if you're, if you're one of his teammates. And, and I even thought KJ Hamler uh, retweet something out that like, yep, it's hundred percent true. Um, that's, that's one that I, I probably am, am completely staying away from. I, I think the, the one game that I think a lot of the public is going to be on this week is the New York Jets as a home dog against the Patriots. Think about recency bias, right? We've seen the New York Jets defense look terrific. Uh, we've seen them take the ball away. Sauce Gardner is the favorite right now for defensive rookie of the year, but I'm, I'm not convinced that this Patriots team is as bad as, as people think they are. Um, there's still some talent on both sides of the ball. This is still a defense that really laid into teams up until last week where the bears had literally the perfect game plan. Um, with a mobile quarterback against them, and he didn't turn the ball over. I, I like the Patriots on the road here. I think it's going to be very much a pros versus Joe's game. In fact, that's actually been the case. This line opened up with the Jets at, at minus one, minus or excuse me, plus one, real short home dog, and the line has since moved to the Patriots minus two and a half. So I would jump on New England before the line goes to three. That's the better number here. And for everybody that's, that's ready to trust Zach Wilson and the Jets, know that he has the worst passer rating in the NFL when pressured this year. That's still something that the Patriots can do. I think he's going to turn the ball over, and I do not like this matchup for the Jets. It just feels like everything is about to come crashing down. They're going to be a public dog this week, and I think you should go uh, the other way to make sure that the, the money does not burn a hole in your pocket. Everything crashing on the Jets? Heist, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> it's, it's, they they look at right? the same wins as, as the Buffalo Bills this year. Like, How sustainable is that?
5: Uh, Heiss, I want to get your thoughts on a future bet that I'm considering, and tell me if you think I'm crazy. Looking at the NFC South, everybody is separated by a game, including Carolina, who fired their coach and traded away their best player. They're still in the race in the NFC South, which is weird to say. The Saints, when I look at their future bet to win the NFC South, are plus 750. Is that something that I should be sprinkling a little bit of money on? Because I'm not sold on Tampa Bay.
0: I don't hate it. I thought the Saints would... Could, would compete for the division this year. The problem is that their defense has looked atrocious. Uh, they they can't stop anybody right now. And when Andy Dalton is now your your go-to starting quarterback, ahead of Jameis Winston, who all reports are, are that he's pretty much healthy and ready to go. The offense just seems to be operating uh, at a much better rate with Dalton under center than Winston. That's a bit of a concern for me. Uh, they're still dealing with injuries. They got some on the offensive line. Not sure whether or not Michael Thomas is going to be active for a bit. Chris Olave is able to come back look good. Kamara obviously is starting to get the ball a little bit more. Everything I think comes down to whether or not this Saints defense that I think most people projected to be one of the better ones in the NFC, certainly in the NFL. If they're able to start making some more sustained opportunities and making stops and putting pressure on the quarterback and Cam Jordan starts being a difference maker and Marshawn Lattimore starts to uh, look like that shutdown corner that we all thought he would be. I don't hate the play at all because right now Tampa Bay looks very, very lost. Uh, odds makers haven't given up on the Bucks yet. They're still top two, top three to win the NFC. But yeah, for, for a little bit of money on it, plus 750 for a team that does have talent on the roster, uh, certainly there are worse ways to spend your money. Heiss, always
3: love getting the chance to talk with you, buddy. Thank you so much for hopping on. Enjoy this weekend slate of games, and we'll talk to you next Thursday.
0: Looking forward to it, guys. Always good to talk to you.
3: There you go. That's Ben Heisler, a managing editor at BetSided. You can follow him on Twitter at Benny Heis. Alexa Dat, Tanner Hendricks, and Alex Ferrario with you. Coming up in 15 minutes, are the Cardinals really going to be in on this shortstop market? But coming up next, you've got questions. Send them to us. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We'll give you answers next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's Questions and Answers on 101 ESPN.
3: Service text line 65780. You send us questions, we'll give you answers. Questions, we'll give you answers. Apparently I can't talk today, which is wonderful for the rest of this show and uh, Blues pregame tonight. It's
4: Thursday. It's It's Thursday.
3: We're almost there, Alexa. (laughs) Alexa Dat, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Send us questions in. Let's start with this one from the 314. Guys, due to arbitration, payroll will go up. It doesn't mean that they're going to spend money on new players. What are the chances that you all believe they actually will get a high-end player? I'm stupid. They're talking
4: Cardinals. High end is tough to define. Do you mean a superstar? They're not bringing in Aaron Judge. Carlos Correa is not coming to the Yeah, loo. like let's
3: eliminate Judge Correa
5: let's and say, Turner. Let's say what? A star? Maybe not that superstar. Superstar might be a, out of their payroll, but star. Because I, I like, is Xander Bogart's a superstar? I don't think so. I, I would more say of a that superstar. Star.
4: He's a star. What about like a Tim Anderson? He's a star. He's a star. Hey, he he's didn't a he say he was better than Babe Ruth?
3: Did Anderson? Wasn't that? Didn't he say that? Or was it somebody else that he said he was better than? I don't remember. I don't
5: remember that. At all. I'll figure it out while he, we discuss. He <laughs> has a
4: huge personality. He would be a lot of fun. Now, he has a club option, so I don't know if it would be T.A., but Jose Iglesias, Dansby Swanson, uh, those aren't mega stars, but those would be impact bats, I think. I mean, Trey Turner and I think Carlos Gray are too expensive for, for this team. But I don't know. Maybe, like, Jonathan Scope? He's got an opt-out. That could be interesting.
3: Scoopsie. Go get Scoopsy.
5: Didn't Scoopsy struggle? I, I thought, or was he? So, are we thinking of uh, someone else that we had interest in? We, last we year. threw a
3: lot of names out there last season. We threw season. a lot
5: of names out there last year, and a and lot of Adore, them. Didn't hit could you did you imagine? It. Oh
3: my God! <laughs> you know he's got a, a nasty right
5: hook. <laughs> I I think they will add a star this year. I don't.
4: Is Wilson Contreras a star to you? I think he's a star. I think
5: he's I, a star. Because like when I think Cubs, who's my first, who's the first guy I think of, and it's not just because there's nobody else on the <laughs> roster. Say,
4: that's why five years and ago yeah. not so much. But you would now. Have three other answers. But, I,
5: but Contreras, you thought of too. Like when they had Rizzo and Bryant, like you always brought up his name too as being a part of that core team. So I'd say Contreras nah, is a star. You
4: just know, brought up Bias. You brought up Baez, Rizzo.
5: I think Contreras. I thought a lot of people brought up Contreras when you thought about him. At least I did. Maybe that's just because I'm a baseball nut. I mean, I brought. I mean, the World
3: Series team, Contreras, I probably brought up fourth or fifth after Brian, Rizzo, Baez. I'm not saying he's ahead of
5: those guys, but I think you, like, when you think of Cubs, you mentioned Contreras in the same ilk with those guys when you think of that team. So I think Contreras is a star. I think they had at least one star because. Yes, the payroll's going up because of arbitration, but that's not what Mo was talking about. No. Mo doesn't say payroll's going up and then goes, Ha gotcha, it was arbitration. That's why that's how the payroll's going up. So no, no, no.
3: inflation went up. Yeah. I mean they've
5: got like <laughs> to get to their levels last year when you add in what we've what the projection is for the arbitration they've got about 40 million dollars to spend and if most has payrolls going up i'm assuming it's probably like 50 55 maybe 60 if they're feeling really frisky yeah uh i think they're at least one star i i'm gonna say this and i know we're gonna play this when it doesn't occur i think they might even be in on two stars that's right you want to allude to that no, no, okay. I'll just leave, it, just there. leave it there. Just, I mean,
4: are you talking about like Wilson Contreras because they lock him in at catcher and then what, a fourth outfielder option? Like
5: Wilson Contreras, and I don't think they're
4: in on the shortstop
5: market. I think it's Wilson Contreras, and then they bring in someone like Brandon Nimmo. I don't know if you call him a star or not. Oh, but see, I think they're. Nimmo I think it's
3: Sander Bogarts and Wilson Benintendi. Contreras. And I might be living in fantasy world, but like to me, you just upgraded your offense like 10, 10 degrees better than what it was.
5: Not, not a. Not a <laughs> I was gonna say, not much of a massive upgrade. Bringing in any bats really going to upgrade the offense from what it was. So. Well, no,
4: not really because you lost Pujols. Remember, he had such That's true. an incredible season. Yeah, and the offense Dickerson was good most this year. year. We're talking if we're looking just under the microscope of the postseason, yes, the offense has disappeared. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of the season, they were a strong offensive team. They went 22-7 in the month of August. Yep. This offense, I mean, Nolan Arenado had one down month. That was it. And then he won basically player of the month every other month. And then you've got Goldie, who was an MVP, and Pujols who was hitting bombs, especially after that trade deadline, the second half of the season, you're going to have to put some impact bats in that lineup to replace the the production that you got from him.
3: Would free agent Joey Gallo be an upgrade over any of the current outfielders? Uh, I, mean, I think so. Really? Defensively, is he good?
4: Yeah. I think Joey Gallo has an impact bat. I
5: think he's an impact bat, but his swing and miss concerns me. Correct. I at uh, 162 with the Dodgers this but season. I
4: think depending on who the hitting coach is, you Fair. could come in and work with him. I don't know. I would be
5: out on Gallo just because I saw how poorly it went in New York. Dude hits bombs, and it scares it scares <laughs> a me lot, a little bit. A lot of home runs. I I would be out on Gallo. I I have I don't have that much interest in Gallo. But that's just me.
3: What if I told you Joey Gallo would be? And I sound like an ESPN thirty for thirty right now. What <laughs> if I told you he was the platoon option with Dylan Carlson?
5: Can Gallo play center though? That's yeah. the thing. Can he, he? I mean. Is he going
4: to be your strongest center fielder? Can anybody
3: play center on this team right now? I mean, hell, I saw Edmund play center
5: field last year. So,
3: But I'm thinking more of the bat. Like when a righty's on the mound, if Carlson's not hitting righties, Joey Gallo's that one that goes in for you, and Bar slides to center field.
5: He's interesting if you I'm, bring I'm him all in. in. That. I'm I, all in on that. I would rather, and I don't think Peterson plays center. He plays more of like left. But then mm-hmm. in theory, you could like move Newt you to move center. Newfar and You over. could put Peterson in right and O'Neill can be in left. I would have more interest if you're looking for a platoon bat for Carlson and Jack Peterson than I would Joey Gallo. I will Just because I think he's more of a complete player. I will die on this
3: hill, especially with the platoon option with Dylan Carlson, Michael Conforto.
4: Yeah, I I watched him in New York a lot.
3: Injury concerns are there, and I don't know what he's going to want, but if you get him on a one-year deal and say, hey, just come here and and get your next big contract and be that big-time bat for us, potential 30 home runs right there
4: lefty but the downside is really low well
3: the downside is tyler o'neill 2.0 where he's hurt and he's not playing
4: yeah that's tough okay i'm not out so on much
3: conforto then. too uh coming up in 15 minutes we'll uh <laughs> maybe i'm just a buzz kill you are a buzz kill come on man we're Running gonna talk to, we're gonna talk to katie Wu and see who she thinks the cardinals could be in on but coming up next could they possibly be in on this shortstop market and if it's not that who's protecting arenado and goldschmidt we'll touch on that next year on 101 espm
1: Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
6: I think right now is we understand that there, there are options out there. Um, how we decide to, to deploy our resources is still something that we're, we're working through. And, you know, having players like Tommy Edmond definitely give you flexibility because we know they can he can play other positions. But, you know, one of the things you have to understand is when you, when you move him off of short and where do you move him to and when you, some people throw out the outfield, I mean, then are you really changing your offensive profile? And the answer is probably not. And so, you know, ultimately those are the things that we have to internally decide and as I mentioned earlier, good news is we have a little time to think through that.
3: That's Jamo Zaloc talking about the Cardinals and the possibility of going after a shortstop this offseason. And alongside Alexa Dat, Tanner Hendrickson, and Alex Ferrario, last year you had the the crop in front of you of shortstops with Corey Seager and Carlos Correa and Trevor Story, all of the names that were available. And people were like, how are you not getting this? Because your shortstop has not worked out. They didn't. They opted to go with Paul DeYoung. It didn't work. Tommy Edmond looked to be that permanent shortstop for them this season with the occasional guys jumping in. So now it's it's deja vu. We're back to it, where shortstop is still a hole, and you're also looking for an upgrade offensively, and you hit the market with some big-time names. Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, Dansby Swanson. These names are sitting there available to you. And Alexa, hearing Mo talk yesterday, it did sound like that, eh, probably not going to be investigating the shortstop market, But my bigger thing this offseason isn't so much where a guy is going to play for you. It's who are the big-time hitters for your team. And unfortunately, this market has Aaron Judge and then shortstops, and you just need a bat right
5: now.
4: Yes, 100%. So... Is it about going out and getting a big-name shortstop? No, I don't think so. Tommy Edmonds, that role. Brennan Donovan, your second baseman. And then you've got to figure out your DH situation. I don't know that Juan Yep platoons at DH. I don't think that makes sense because splits aren't as dick as you would think for a platoon guy. But then you've got Nolan Gorman fitting in that situation at some capacity, I think it's about getting the bat first and then figuring out the rest later. That makes the most sense to me. Also, if you're going to add offense at the catcher position, then it takes a little bit less pressure off of having to go get the impact bat to be in your lineup because Contreras is going to contribute offensively in a big way. So for me, I think that those are several things to look at, but it's not going to be a big splash in terms of a shortstop coming in, in my opinion, I think
5: yeah I'm with you and this is the whole reason that I don't think they're going to do it I want to play this clip from Mo this was Mo when asked about making sure trying to avoid to block opportunities for some of their top prospects and shocker shocker he mentioned Mason Wynn
6: I think you know right now we have a lot of talent coming with Walker Wynn to name a few and so I got to be very careful on what we do this offseason in terms of you know making sure we still create opportunity but you know we're not there yet we have still time to discuss and how we want to think about redeploying our resources. And, uh, you know, as we start to explore both free agency and trade markets, we'll have a better idea what that looks like in the near
3: future. Here's the thing with that, though, and this is just me. I've heard this excuse before. Oh, we got this guy coming and he plays this spot. We don't want to block him here. And then that guy gets up here. He plays that spot and he's not what they were hoping for. And you missed out on the opportunities in front of you. If there's one thing that Ollie did so well this season, it was utilize players not for the position that they're supposed to play, but for who plays because their bat is hot. Tommy Edmund moving to shortstop. Brendan Donovan playing second base. Gorman playing second base. You're putting guys in the outfield position. Juan Pez is not an outfielder. It's a DH for them. But they put him out there because his bat was hot. For me, I look at this and say, yes, Mason Wynn is probably the shortstop of your future, but I'm not expecting Mason Wynn to be a part of this offense next season. I'm thinking he's probably two years away. Jordan Walker is probably going to be a part of this team this season, but I can't rely on that bat to be the third big bat that Albert Pujols was this year. So if the shortstops are there, see, I'm with Alexa. Wilson Contreras is is at the top of my list because it kills two birds with one stone. But if Xander Bogarts is sitting there and I can afford it and I can get a guy who is going to give me a 300 batting average pretty much every season and you know he's getting on base, he's got the pop, and he for some reason plays shortstop, I'll figure that out because Mason Wynn's got an arm. Maybe he can play second. Maybe he can play a corner outfield spot. I need bats in my lineup so that those young guys can come up and not expect to be hitting in the four or five hole.
4: I also wouldn't hate the opportunity to maybe sign like a J.D. Martinez, a guy who you know studies analytics like – Another other
3: well I've
4: ever seen in my life. I and mean, he lives on that iPad and in those numbers. Bring him into DH and then you solidify that role and then figure out in terms of defensive positioning the rest of the guys from there. But in terms of shoring up that lineup offensively in the postseason, especially when it comes to it, because when you look at the Phillies, I mean, with Schwarber and Harper and, you know, Castellanos and you go down the list, those are all big boppers, right? Mm-hmm. And you need that in the postseason. So you got to bring in another guy who can just crush home runs. You have to,
5: and I'm glad you brought up the Phillies because what did the Phillies say this offseason? I mean, they basically signed two DHs. Go get me the let's World Series, Kyle Schwarber. Typically a DH. If Harper wasn't dealing with the injuries he had this year, let's be honest, Schwarber's not playing left field for them right now. Nick Castellanos, I know they're playing him in the outfield. Let's be honest, watching him play defense is scary. He might as well just be a DH as well. Hey
4: man, he made but that play. you can out hit the other team, it doesn't exactly. matter. Exactly.
5: And and what they did was they said, I don't care what position they're playing, we'll bring him in and we'll figure it out from there. And I just don't think the Cardinals, and I'm not. I'm not saying that I wouldn't do this, but I, I just don't get the vibe that the Cardinals are at that point where it's let's just go, cra- go spend – I don't even want to call it stupid money because it's smart money, but let's go spend crazy amount of money and then we'll figure out where guys are going to play. They seem so stuck on, okay, we like when it's shortstop, but you know he's so close to being here, let's not focus on moving him elsewhere. The DH spot, which I think Nolan Gorman – he will be best utilized as an everyday DH in the future of his big league career. The Cardinals keep pushing that he is going to be a second baseman and also get spots at DH. Watching Gorman play second base, I get it, he's young, he can still work on it, but I'm not sure he's ever going to get to that point where he's a great defender at second base. They don't seem willing to take someone and just say, he's not a position player, he's just a DH bat. You see that in the American League. The American League does that a lot, where it's J.D. Martinez, doesn't really play any position but DH. Nelson Cruz, besides because he's a in on a walker, just plays DH <laughs> and doesn't go into the outfield.
1: You know, He'll walk the Cardinals, across the bases when he exactly. hits that home run on you.
5: The Cardinals don't seem willing to just say, Okay, let's get uncomfortable and let's just go get a bunch of really good pieces and throw it wherever we uh, think they best lie. And I think part of the reason that is because they they kind of tried this back when Matheny
4: was here, but it wasn't with.
5: The, yeah, but they didn't the have the dudes. talent with the, that. Exactly. They just were throwing guys the Here's the yeah.
4: thing, too. You're asking them to throw out the complete philosophy of the franchise, which is yeah. that we are a defense-first team because it's how our pitching staff mm-hmm. is structured. We rely on ground ball outs. So we need those gold gloves in the field in order to really help our pitchers out and make them be successful at what they do. We don't have enough swing-and-miss guys in this rotation to just wing it on defense.
5: I agree with that, and that's why I'm not saying that when they just go spend money, it should be just let's go get guys that hit and not worry about the defense because I think some, some of these big bats that are on the market, yes, I think Bogarts is not that great defensively at shortstop, but you can get away with him at short, I believe. I put him at second base at, also. Yeah, and you look at the guys like uh, some of these outfielders, Brandon Nimmo, uh, Michael Conforto, uh, who's Andrew Benintendi, decent defenders, and it can't get much worse than what you had when he got in the playoffs where it was – Corey Dickerson was out in left field for a game. You had Yep out in the outfield who the Cardinals basically said we don't like him out there. So I agreed they shouldn't go out there and just lose their philosophy and just spend for a bat and not worry about the defense. No, they've got to keep that in mind, but I think they can still make those upgrades, fi- figure out the positions later because you've got utility guys like Edmund and Donovan on this Let team. Let me ask you
3: guys this real quick because we got to get to Katie Wu on the other side. The, the main three things that Mo mentioned yesterday was figuring out catcher, augmenting the offense, and then he said you can never have enough pitching. Never in that conversation did he mention, yeah, we got to make sure we get the the proper defenders. And I understand that's the philosophy of the organization. But he also mentioned they've got to be able to protect Goldie and Arenado in this batting order. Who on this market, reasonably that this team could actually sign, protects Goldschmidt and Arenado via free agency?
5: J.D. Martinez, I believe. I think Martinez is one that I would have interest in. And his numbers have started to take a little bit of a decline. Martinez I'd have interest in if it's not a really big deal, like four years. If it's like a two-year deal, I'm with Alexa. I think Martinez is that guy coming at DH. The other guys that I look at, because the, you mentioned guys that are out of the price range, we agree, Correa, Turner, Judge, out of the price range. Mm-hmm. The only other guys on the market, in my opinion, that are those quote-unquote protectors stops. is Xander Bogarts and Wilson Contreras. Yep. So really, if, if you throw J.D.B. Martinez into that, that's just three bats that the Cardinals could realistically and be I looking think you at to have that to,
1: protector. If
3: you're going to go in this offseason with that mindset, I think you have to sign one bat that protects that duo, and then you can add the complementary pieces beyond that.
4: Let me ask you this question. I saw somebody throw out the idea of maybe going due west and going to get Salvi Perez. How do you feel about that as an option?
3: I, I've heard that too. I would love it because Salvador Perez still has it offensively, but he doesn't play the full season as a catcher correct? Like he does a lot of DH for Kansas city. Right. I don't know if he's going to be able, because in my mind, what I'm hearing Mo talk about the catcher position is they got to find somebody who's not going to do the Yachty or Molina workload, but isn't going to do the 50 50 split with Andrew Kisner, because I don't think they believe Andrew Kisner is a guy who can play that much for them and be consistent. So if Salvador Perez has an end to play, let's just say a hundred games, I'd be all for it. But one, what does Kansas city want? Because, you're going to be giving up probably something substantial for a guy that probably only has, what, a couple more years in him before he calls it a career. And maybe that's the stopgap for Yvonne Herrera. So that's
4: what you need is a stopgap.
3: But is he the option and trading the assets that it would take to get him and him not playing a full season for you? Or would you rather sign a Wilson Contreras who's See, going to give you four years? I'm not My sure only Contreras concern about Contreras,
4: though, is that if you're coming into this organization and somebody is behind you that they really believe in...
3: I think Contreras could be a DH for you.
4: Correct, but are you going to sign somewhere where you know that your job is essentially being promised to somebody else when they're ready? But
3: is the question to Contreras: How do you want to be a catcher? How, a how much longer do you want to be a catcher because you're 30, 31 the Cubs years moved old? Away from
5: that kind of yeah, year. he
3: was doing DH, and you can say, look, we need you to be a catcher this season, but we also need you to be kind of that next stopgap for Ivan Herrera, and your bet will still play in our lineup as a DH. Is he willing to do that? Do you want to come to a winning team for that? Those are the questions that I think you have to throw out there. But as we've mentioned with Wilson Contreras, you're also going to be getting the negatives of it, of the reports of him not being able to handle a pitching staff and defensively not framing the pitches as well as you would want when you had Yadier Molina. I think people just need to suck it up and understand you don't have a Yadier Molina anymore. You're going to have to get the next step down. Tucker Barnhart. But you need some offense if you're going to get that next step down. Offense has to outweigh the defense because you're not getting defense outweighing the offense.
4: By the way, Omar Narvaez, Gary Sanchez, Christian Vasquez, Mike Zanino. Interesting options, not the offense that you're looking for, like but you you're would get the from Contra- solid, Contreras, solid bats. Yeah. but you would get some solid bats, and you would get great defense. If you're not
3: getting the bat, then you're going to have to find the bat elsewhere, and that's where you go back to. You're going into the shortstop, or you're going to find the outfield, or where are you going with that? So again, it's really interesting of how this goes. Let's ask Katie Wu all about this because she was at the press conference yesterday. Our Cardinals insider here on 101 ESPN and for the Athletic joins us next. side Alexa dad and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Alex Ferrario as we now head out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line after yesterday's big time press conference we thought who better to get on than our Cardinals insider for the athletic she is Katie Wu you can follow her on Twitter at Katie J Wu Katie I thought you were in vacation but I didn't expect you to be at the press conference and I'm like oh wait it's Katie Wu of course she's going to be at that press conference
8: Oh, yes. I was on vacation, and I have let the Cardinals know that they cut my trip home short. I will be <laughs> expecting some sort of royalty in return. They didn't seem too upset about it. They didn't seem to particularly care, but that's okay. Uh, More of the story is I uh, was there for the press conference, and, and super glad I, I didn't miss it because obviously a lot went down yesterday.
4: All right, Katie, so excited to talk to you. Hi, my love. Hi, this um, is
8: the best. I'm so excited.
4: <laughs> Let's break this down a little bit. I think the most surprising thing for for all of us was the fact that Jeff Albert will no longer be around their hitting coach. What was your reaction, and where do you believe this, this all stemmed from in terms of why he doesn't want to be with the Cardinals anymore?
8: You know, it's such a complex question, and I think it's a little bit more stunning because as John Mozeliak said yesterday in his press conference, he wasn't expecting there to be a significant coach turnover. I think the Cardinals always knew that Skip Schumacher's tenure might be short-lived with St. Louis because they only signed him to a one-year deal with a couple of mutual options. Everyone's certainly super excited for Skip to be moving on to Miami as their new manager. But Movalock um, was under the impression that Mike Maddox and Jeff Albert could return if they wanted to. He was ready to offer both contracts. For Mike Maddox, it was a matter of just wanting to do something different, a little change of pace. He's 61 years old has been the a pitching coach for nearly a decade in the big leagues. And was just trying to try something new for Jeff Albert. I thought the reasoning was uh, a little bit more confusing. I would say at first because what Jeff Albert had done for the Cardinals' hitting philosophy throughout the organization seemed to be yielding pretty solid results, especially at the minor league level, where you can really start implementing a new approach with with fresh minds and younger players. But Mo was all but ready to bring Albert back for uh, undisclosed amount of time, at least for 2023. And, and Jeff Albert said. You know, he actually didn't want to return. Uh, a lot of he faced a lot of criticism, as you both know, mostly online. There was not a lot of internal criticism about what Jeff Albert was doing. There was a lot of um, encouragement and a lot of optimism about his results. But the external criticism, I think, just kind of made him change his mind about what he wanted to do for his future. He has two young kids, so will not be back and the Cardinals now have four vacancies to fill
2: on their
3: coaching staff yeah Katie and you know the Cardinals have always done this where when they have these vacancies on the coaching position they look inside the organization first and those guys have a little bit of an upper hand and I- I've heard a ton of different names pop up here but do you feel like that's the direction they're going to go to fill those four opening positions is internal decisions before they look externally
8: I think that they're going to open it up to both parties, uh, both internal and external. But I would say from a pitching perspective, Dusty Blake, their pitching uh, coordinator and strategist, worked under Maddox for the last two years, which was a pitching coach for the Duke Blue Devils for the last three prior to that. I think he'll warrant the most internal consideration for that pitching coach job, and he looks to maybe be the favorite. It's a little early to declare that definitively. But I think if you're looking for a, a – I'd be more inclined to think the Cardinals hire internally from a pitching perspective and maybe look externally from a hitting perspective, but they do have so many qualified internal candidates. Turner Ward, the assistant hitting coach that was hired last year, quickly became a player favorite. Russ Steinhor, the minor league hitting coordinator, has been linked a lot. Jose LaHare the double-A manager for Springfield, currently managing in uh, Winter Bowl. Those are all valid names that could see consideration and could see an interview at least for the hitting coach, but I would say that position I could see the Cardinals going equally in an external direction.
4: I swear to God, Katie, if Nolan Aranato also leaves, I will cry and you will never see me out of my bedroom.
3: It can't happen, Alexa. I've already guaranteed it's not going to take place.
4: Okay, Alex. You you guaranteed it? 100%. Then we're good. Then we're good. Your stamp of approval. Uh, yeah, I got it's, it. it. It's
3: the Ferrario stamp of approval, Katie.
4: <laughs> so Nolan's weighing the opt-out, Katie. And uh, Moselec made the trip to California. Obviously, he's uh, he's got some of the cards to be able to to play here, you know, in terms of, of his decision to come back. When do you see this decision You know, finally, obviously, he has to make it, you know, five days after the World Series. But uh, what do you see this decision being based on? And, you know, how much pull do you think he has in terms of convincing, you know, Mo, one way or the other, uh, what the future of the organization looks like?
8: Well, first, I want to say the Ferrario stamp of approval much stronger than the BKO. Oh, my God. It's BKO, the polar right? opposite of
3: the BKO, Katie. <laughs> yeah,
8: yeah, absolutely. If, if we had if we had BK on the show today, I would be very K- concerned about Katie, Nolan's I'm- future, but he's off.
3: Katie, so. I'm just going to throw this out here. BK has been on vacation, and he's been texting us about the Cardinals, and then the press conference happens. Jeff Albert, Mike Maddox, Brian Eversgard, and Skip Schumacher are all gone. I'm just going to throw that out there. There's no connection, right?
5: BK's the
8: worst. He, he is powerful in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> <He really is. laughs> No, but okay. To to Nolan Arenado, since I know that's the big remaining question. Obviously, with might coming back, uh, that was check one. Check two is making sure Nolan does indeed return for the next five years in St. Louis. Both sides, both the Cardinals and people close to uh, to Nolan, believe that you know they're very optimistic and that a resolution should be coming shortly. The conversation that Mo had with Arnato was not a "you need to come back, let me convince you to stay." I actually thought the the conversation was pretty healthy in terms of where they both stood. They flew to meet in person because. No one just had questions about the next five years. Where is this team going? What's the direction that the Cardinals are expecting to go? Was there a, a a fluid blueprint, really, on the move they could make? Where this team is trending in the right direction? All valid questions that, you know, any player would want to know if they're going to lock up somewhere long-term. No one wants to be in St. Louis. He said it. Adam Wainwright said it in his press conference yesterday. He loved St. Louis. He wanted to be a Cardinal. guys. Like, he would send videos, right, of himself when he was a Rocky. He'd send videos of himself hitting Adam Wainwright. He'd be like, hey, show him this. I want to be a Cardinal. I would be shocked. So would multiple people in the uh, throughout the organization. If he did not return to St. Louis, I think it's just a matter of making sure everyone is on the same page before they make it official.
3: Yeah, Katie. And again, we're talking with Katie Wu, the uh, Cardinals insider for the Athletic, with us here on BK and Ferrari or Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Katie, that was the biggest thing I think that stuck out to me. Of course, Cardinals fans here, John Mosalak say payroll will increase, and they think, oh, good. Aaron Judge is going to be a Cardinal this season. But when he said that, and then when it tied into Arenado and talking with him about opting in for this contract for the remainder remainder of his time, part of me wondered if this was Nolan Arenado playing the game of, look, I want to be here, as you mentioned, I want to see where this team goes. Do you think that sway, sways John Mozeliak's hand of going into the offseason and saying, we got to find more offense to protect Arenado and Goldschmidt?
8: Absolutely. And I think even Adam Wainwright was pleading his case in his own way as well in his press conference. Look, it's no question. We see what's successful in the postseason and what's not. You have dominant starting pitching and you have guys that can leave the yard, guys with significant pops. Cardinals had that. Unfortunately, they uh, they had about three and two went very cold in the wild card series. I won't bring that up anymore. We're past that. We're on a 2023. Yeah, come on. We've um, washed it. We have. We have. Have we? But... Uh, <laughs> With uh, Adam on his press conference yesterday, he was listing all of the things that, he. And he it was really funny, he goes, is Mo on this call? And he <laughs> confirmed that he was on the Zoom call, and he goes, okay. And then went into all of these things, he was not so subtly hinting on what he would like to see the Cardinals improve, and an offense is certainly there. So with the payroll set to increase, I mean, the Cardinals had a very successful year at the game, 2022. We'll go ahead and refer to that as the Albert Pujols effect in future references. But they're in a, p- a position to spend significantly, and I don't think it's in the way that we've heard them spend before, you know, incrementally, conservatively. They get solid upgrades, but nothing blockbuster. And I'm not going to go out here and say they're going to go sign all these free agents, bringing Jacob deGrom and, and Carlos Correa and all of that. I'm not saying that, but I do think that they're in a significant position to spend and upgrade their offense, but from a catching perspective. And then they're lined up and getting a couple more power bats. And I think Nolan would like to hear where, that, where they stand in there as well.
3: So with that being said, Katie, and on the offensive side, we brought up all these names like Aaron Judge, Trey Turner to us. It just seems unrealistic. But beyond that, uh, is Xander Bogarts, is Wilson Contreras? Do you feel like those names are realistic for the Cardinals? Or do you feel like because of the positions that Bogarts plays or uh, the, the, the surrounding talk of Wilson Contreras struggling to manage a pitching staff kind of puts them on the outside of the possibilities for the Cardinals?
8: It's a good question. I think it's a little too early to truly pin down like ideal targets. I know that Mo was, was pretty candid in saying, look, Andrew Kissner had a good good season for what we expected from him. Ivan Herrera certainly like still very in on him and his capabilities, but they would like to upgrade their catching spot first and foremost, whether that's in terms of signing Contreras, who in my opinion is really the only current free agent for the 2023 season. That'd be worth paying significant money for regardless of his issues, handling the pitching staff, um, but that's that could be a play they could also look to trade they certainly have the depth in their farm system to do so i'm not quite sure what names are realistic yet i think it just depends on one once they guarantee Arnado coming back then they can focus to that but i think the cardinals next prerogative is to establish what exactly they're looking from the catching role what's that going to cost is it worth more to trade and of course if they do end up trading for a catcher would open them up to the ability to spend more money in other spots whether that is another VAT, whether they do decide to pursue the shortstop market or any other way they look to upgrade their team for 2023. But one thing that Mo did make clear is those upgrades have to come and they have to be better than seasons prior.
4: Katie, I might be looking way too far into the future. It's something that I do uh, constantly. My therapist tells me to stop. But, <laughs> but we're going to examine that here because this is a, a perfect example of it. Because you have the starting staff, right, who you feel confident in going into the year. But then the only two guys that you have locked down are Dakota Hudson and Steven Matz beyond next year. Obviously, Adam Wainwright retiring. And then a lot of these guys either uh, have options or free agents and, and things like that. So for you, what does that do for this pitching staff in terms of how much? is going to organize it going forward, uh, not only for next year, but then it, next offseason and maybe at the trade deadline as well.
8: Yeah, that's huge. Alexa, I'm glad you brought it up because, yes, for the first time in a very long time, let's, let's give some, some recognition to the Cardinals. They have five legitimate starters for November. Usually we get to opening day and they don't have that. So I would like to acknowledge the front office for locking down five starters. I do not think this is the rotation that they debut with on opening day, although it certainly would be a better rotation than what we saw to open the season in 2021 and 2022. Now, you're right. After 2023, you lose four of those guys, whether they're up for free agency for the first time, Miles Michaelis's contract is expiring, both Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery will be done with their arbitration years. And, of course, Adam Wainwright will be retiring. Now, I think that brings incentive because – you then are counting you in the same spot that you've been in seasons prior and where you desperately need a bundle of assortment options for starting pitching. So I do think the Cardinals will continue to look at that market. And I'm not sure if they go out and they get a top-tier ace. Of course, obviously, no one's going to argue with that if they do. Um, but I don't think that this is the rotation they open up with I, in 2023. I would like to see them bring back Jose Quintana. I think he did a wonderful job for them in the last two months of the season. However, the way that he pitched that way could guarantee him for more than a one-year deal. So we'll see. He could get a better deal, multi-years, more money from other organizations. Um, but John Mazelak certainly said, and this is something he knows well, you can never have too much pitching. So I would imagine that the Cardinals continue to be aggressive on that front as well.
3: Just as a follow-up to that, Katie, do you feel like that they might still be in the market for a top-end starting pitcher, maybe via trade if that becomes available to, to them in the offseason?
8: I would think so. I think with the Cardinals, you have to explore all options. I mean, this is a team where you can't argue their regular season success. They are consistently one of the four or five teams that has a legitimate shot to not just get to the postseason, but make a deep run in the postseason every single year. But their postseason success, as we all know, has been very limited in the past four or five years. So I think when you're looking at 2023 and you realistically know, okay, Paul Goldschmidt's prime window is closing. Nolan Arnato's prime window is closing. You want to win for Adam Wainwright. You want to win because it's been a while since the Cardinals were a legitimate postseason threat. As we said earlier, you guys, the best way to do it, you look at teams. The teams that are playing right now in the World Series, Phillies and Houston, look at their pitching staff. They got a top-tier, inarguable, bona fide ace, and I think the Cardinals would benefit from that. Definitely looking at it. And like I said, who is really going to be upset if they do end up signing or trading for one?
4: Katie, just to bring this all back around, in terms of Ali Marmol, as a rookie manager this year, obviously worked really closely. We know how well he communicates with Skip Schumacher and Jeff Albert and Mike Maddox. How do you see this affecting Ali going forward with bringing in basically a whole new slew of guys and then also having to, you know, manage the expectations of the fan base and the uh, wishes of the front office and also any new players that they were to bring in potentially in the offseason with also just being in your second year as a big league manager.
8: Yeah. I mean, Ollie Marble has not had an easy path. <laughs> his, no. what, one whole, what he's done, 12 months as a manager. He's had to deal with a lot, but Alexa, you know this about him. Very even keeled guy. Nothing really riles him up too much. Of course, his bomb with Skip Schumacher, that will be missed. Skip really did so much for this organization in his one year here. I think that's a bigger loss than people maybe realize Maybe it's because he's so beloved in St. Louis that people are just genuinely happy for him in his new role. I know I am genuinely happy to see him as a Marlins manager, but he will be missed. I think um, the best way to look at it, and this is what Mo kind of referred to in his press conference, is it's just an opportunity to maybe identify things that they were missing in the staff that they were not previously aware of. It's an opportunity to bring in new voices and different perspectives, something that Ollie Marmel is really open to. He loves to have these kind of open conversations and different perspectives and learn new things. So you can go into it as two ways, right? You can look at it as a a burden, as, oh, no, we have all of a sudden four coaching spots to fill and nothing about the season has been normal. Or it can be an opportunity to say, hey, let's have some new conversations. What can we do differently? What can we do that we're not thinking of that can make this organization better? I mean, the Cardinals are a very they're a very esteemed place they're in a very esteemed organization to work people want to work for the cardinals because of their long-term success so i think i don't think there'll be a problem filling those positions i think it's just a matter of making sure they make the right decision
3: katie incredible stuff as always if you didn't see katie's work yet up on the athletic talking yesterday from the press conference and adam wainwright's media availability go check it out you could follow her on twitter at katie Woo. katie we'll stop bothering you go back to vacation mode uh, and we will talk to you once the hot stove heats up
8: and love you, Katie. Oh, you guys are the best. And last thing, Polo Ascencio went to the Harry Styles concert last night. Uh, Cardinals radio broadcaster for their Spanish station does a great job. But rumor has it he's still in bed. So, Polo, it is time to get up. Yeah. <laughs> wake get up, up Polo. let go.
3: <laughs> Harry has that effect on you, I'm assuming.
4: Polo told us <laughs> that you are the only person that will get him out of bed to get him out to a social function, Katie. So you might have to go knock on yeah. his door and wake him up and buy him some brunch. <laughs>
8: Powerful. We
3: know this guy. <laughs> okay. See you, Katie. Have a great one. There you go. Katie J. Woo on Twitter. Katie Woo always love catching up with her. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got the junk drawer. But coming up next, are the blues worried about Jordan Cairo Are you worried about Jordan Cairo? We'll discuss next here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Well, he had a great chance there tonight, missing that. I think, you know, you know, he's working hard. I, uh, he's skating well. Um, he's doing a lot of good things. It, you know, may, you know, I think overhandling that sometimes. Like, I'd like to see him just shoot it or make it play quicker, you know, with it. But his work ethic's really good right now, and he's got the puck a lot in his tape. You know, um, it'll come.
3: That's head coach Craig Berube after last night's loss to the Edmonton Oilers and alongside Alexa Datton, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. Alexa, you think fans are upset with the Cardinals and John Mosellock? Uh You should read the text line about Jordan Kyrou because, <laughs> my goodness, from last night on, it has been just Jordan Kyrou this, Jordan Cairo that. Why isn't he scoring goals? He's not good defensively understandably so, people are frustrated because Kairou threw uh, five games this season. He only has one goal, and he is sitting at a minus six overall. If you look at the plus-minus rating, some people do, some people don't. Me personally, I'm not worried about Jordan Kairou. I think Jordan Kairou right now is just a product of this offense in terms of trying to find its footing early on in the season, but where are you at with Jordan Cairo, the guy who got the contract extension, the guy who scored 30 goals last season or 25 plus goals last season and has started off slow for this team?
4: I think there's a glaring difference, especially when you give two guys the exact same deal, contract extensions for eight years, $65 million. And you watch how Robert Thomas has been playing, which is like his hair's on fire. He's been excellent. He's been everywhere. And then Jordan Cairo, who has started off slow this season. So because you have such an equal comparison in terms of they have the exact same numbers, the pressure has played out differently for each one of them. Robert Thomas is obviously bought in. He's ready to go. And Cairo I'm not saying that he's not ready, but maybe feeling the pressure a little bit more that will alleviate. And for him, he his consistency maybe isn't his strength. It's his speed and the fact that he is so dangerous when he touches the puck. So you're going to get spurts where Cairo bursts out and no one's talking about these first five games anymore. And remember, it's only been five games and you don't have Bucinevich. You don't have Saad. You don't have the consistency on these lines. I mean, we're four games in and Berube's mixing up the lines. Five games in, again, Berube's again mixing up the lines, trying to find something to help with those guys being absent. So for me, not concerned about Kairu at all. And wh- what I would point out is you got your captain who started the season off slow as well. And I don't hear any hate for Ryan O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm asking for it, but I'm just asking you to maybe temper down your expectations for Kairou after only just a couple of games, because O'Reilly also started off with zero points for through the first four. Mm-hmm. I mean, he only had three shots in his first three games. He picked it up in that fourth game with five of them, and then obviously gets his first point of the season last night. But it's just one of those things that it's going to take a little bit of time. I'm not asking you to not criticize the guy after 15, maybe 20 games, but we're five games in. Let's just take a deep breath.
5: I'm not concerned yet about Jordan Cairo because – that whole line, you mentioned O'Reilly, that whole line just looked off from the very get go. I'll be a little bit more concerned if he can't get it going because I think he's going to be. We haven't seen any line rushes. I think it's an optional skate today. Yeah, They're not skating today. So yeah. we won't know the lines until we get to the game tonight. I expect he's probably going to be with Thomas tonight because that's what they moved to yesterday in that game. If he can't get going with Thomas, and I'm not saying just tonight, I'm saying like in the next like five games, if he's with Robert Thomas, if he can't get going then, then I'm going to start to raise a little bit of the alarm bells because. I agree Robert Thomas is one of those streaky players but with the contract that he was given I was the Blues were banking on him not being as streaky as he was last season and he's one of those guys to the point of Ryan O'Reilly where he's not going to be able to make up his lack of offense by playing shutdown defense like Ryan O'Reilly is so right now I'm not concerned But if he gets paired with Robert Thomas, which I'm expecting he will tonight, and he continues to struggle so far in this season, I'm going to start to raise those alarm bells as this starts to move on and on, and especially because he's one of those guys also that's going to be filling in on the power play and trying to make not not take all of the production or try to fill all of the production that's lost from David Perron being gone but at least take some of that responsibility. And so far, he just hasn't been able to do so. Yeah, it's
3: twofold for me with Jordan Kyrou. On the offensive side, I'm not concerned. I mean, look, it is early, but he's also had 16 shots on goal through five games. Like, he's getting offensive opportunities. And Craig Bruby has discussed, like, he's getting great a scoring chances. Last night, he just missed the net. I mean, if Kyrou hits that, that's a goal, and I don't think we're talking about it as much. But the twofold with me being kind of concerned with Kairou offensively, it's not there defensively. It's there because I, I kind of assumed Jordan Kairou was going to spend the off season focusing on that side of the game. And we talked about this with uh, Mike McKenna, Alexa, former NHL goaltender on Tuesday. And we talked just about Jordan Kairou's presence as a player. And he said, the focus is on him being more responsible in his own zone, but you also have to understand this is the type of player he is. You you don't have a two-way forward in Jordan Cairo, who is going to be back-checking just as hard as he's going to be forechecking. Jordan Cairo is he's kind of like a Phil Kessel in the sense of he's not going to be involved in the play in his own end. He's going to be the guy that's waiting for the play to come to him. That's where he scores his goals. That's a little concerning to me. Last night, I know some people saw that game-winning goal and they blamed Colton Pareco for it. But Craig Berube said after the game... Connor McDavid's got to be taken on that play with the puck on his stick. And that was Jordan Kyrou's guy. Kyrou kind of skated around and waited for that play to unfold. That's where my concern comes into play. But in all reality, once health comes back to the Blues, I would not be surprised if they try a line that is Buchnevich, Thomas, and Kyrou together and move Tarasenko up with Ryan O'Reilly because now you've got more... Similar styles on the ice of Thomas and Cairo, who like to play that pond hockey style that can create some highlight reel goals and you've got the responsibility with Pavel Bucinavich, and you move Vladdy up with Ryan O'Reilly, who plays that style of keeps the puck on his stick and looks for the goal scorer.
4: We saw the game, how it started last night, with Buchnevich O'Reilly, and Cairo and then Shen, Thomas, Tarasenko. It just wasn't working for them in the first period, for whatever reason, but then as soon as Barubi decides to switch up the lines, you see a little bit more consistency, you see more aggressiveness. I think the pace of play overall just uh, increased in the Blues' favor, so uh, Barubi was is kind of trying to do exactly what we're all asking, which is to get Kairou going and he's gonna find that spot. He just hasn't found it particularly just yet. And and there are Not that many spots you could put him, especially because you have those injuries. So I think that plays into it in a big way. And you know, we're putting a lot of and a lot of the media questions for Berube Mm -hmm. and for Ryan O'Reilly are about Cairo. How can you get him going? What can you do to make him successful? And O'Reilly was like, "What do you mean? When this guy gets the puck on his stick, he's one of the most dangerous players in the National Hockey League. How do you guys not see that?" And I get it; he's defending his teammate. That makes sense. But I do think that there will be an element of Cairo being on a line with, yeah, maybe. Thomas that's a that's a great Uh, example to get him going more offensively.
3: Get some more skill out there with him. Uh, We'll see what they got tonight against the Predators. 7 o'clock puck drop, 6 o'clock pregame. And again, Baruby said last night, obviously no Buchnevich who's on injured reserve. No Brandon Saad, so you might be looking at a very similar lineup unless Josh Levo uh, gets the call in this one tonight. Coming up next, we've got the junk drawer, but if you want a shot to win your Smashing Pumpkins tickets, you got your chance right now. It is the 16 year anniversary of the Cardinals winning the World Series against the Detroit Tigers. If you are texter 101 and can tell us, what player, Adam Wainwright, struck out to win the World Series 16 years ago tonight? You will be the winner of Smashing Pumpkins tickets. Special guest, Jane's Addiction, next Tuesday night, November 1st, at Enterprise Center. Uh, if you missed there, or if you don't get your chance to win, you can find all the details in a bonus shot for free tickets at 101ESBN.com or your 101ESBN app. Junk drawer next year on 101ESBN. <laughs>
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase.
0: Open an Achieve It checking account today.
3: Alexa Datton, Tanner and I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got Believe It or Not, it's Tanner's favorite day of the oh, week. yeah, <laughs> Alexa, you'll find out why in just a bit. So send us your scenario, 65780. on our Air Comfort Service text on it. We'll tell you the scenario if we believe it or not. Again, a cra- a congratulations to Logan, who won his uh, two tickets to see Smashing Pumpkins. Now we've got the junk drawer before we get to Joe Vitale. T-Bone, you tell us you got something special.
5: I love when you get the thing that has like what's most popular in a category for each state. And I saw that for Halloween candy last night. And I was like, this is perfect. So for the state of Missouri, it's the Milky Way. Milky Way is the be- okay, favorite well, candy well, you here in St.
3: And you just ruined it. I thought we were going to guess, man. Oh, sorry. What do you think it is in Illinois? It's the Milky Way, not the Milky Way. There's no E in it. Some of my mom calls it Milky. Wait, what is it? She calls it milk.
5: Well, no, I don't.
4: What is it actually?
3: Milky Way. That's
4: what I said. No, it's not.
3: (laughs) No, you said Milky Way. It's like my mom. She says tarlet. It's like mom. There's no R in tarlet.
4: What's tarlet? Toilet. Oh, she puts an R in there. So cute. My grandpa used to
3: call it tougherware. Gosh. By the way, happy ninetieth birthday to my grandpa. Keep going, T Bone.
5: What What do you think the number one candy is in the state of
3: Illinois? Uh, state of Illinois. Kit Kat. Yeah, I was, I was going to say Kit Kat too. It Alexa. is a Kit Kat. Look at mm. you go, and Alexa. I guess that makes Kit sense because I'm from. Delicious. I was
5: born in Illinois and Kit Kat's my favorite candy bar. So I guess that makes sense. I was I will born be in Missouri. I
4: with Kit Kats and salt and vinegar chips. It's my dying meal. It's my favorite food. Alexa,
3: Alexa you and I might be on the same page there because salt and vinegar chips. Excellent. The goats. Yep. Kit Kats, the goats. Delicious. And then now, Skittles up there with Kit Kats. I will Kats say for
5: me. this. I have follow up questions about what the hell happens to Trick or Treat in Iowa. Why, guess what, what, they get? Guess toilet what their paper? candy is. Toilet paper? No. Toothbrush. No? Ruler. Apple. Bush Light. All right. Delicious. Let's go.
3: <laughs> what the get hell the kids we, started early. I was going to say, what the hell happened yeah. happening in Iowa? Trick or treat. How old are you, kid? Eight? All right, here you go. Bush light.
5: <laughs> I, I learned that in Iowa trick or treating must be uh, 21 and over. That's what I learned.
3: <laughs> Hold on, Tanner. Uh, Ryder, Tanner needs off on Monday because
5: he's going to take a trip yeah, to I'm Iowa to, for I Halloween. A, I got a buddy that lives in Iowa that works at a radio station. <gasps> All right, so, so, so
3: Let's get some of the obnoxious candy in here. What are, are the states with the obnoxious? Like, who likes candy corn? Uh,
5: too many. Probably. No, kind of because of say, that's
3: the state of serial killers. So the yes. states that
5: like candy corn idaho Nevada, okay nevada, nevada. uh it's actually nevada. Mm, i think that's new mexico michigan is likes I candy think, corn well you know i don't know the you states have a map well. the United of, behind you man at your uh, house i don't ever look at it <laughs> what you got it for them uh, you contact your geography teacher <laughs> alabama alabama <laughs> likes candy corn as well those are the ones that like candy corn there's only like four uh Kentucky. You know what's worse
4: than candy corn, though? What? Tell me the states that like the worst candy okay. on earth.
3: Okay, hold on. Let me see where you're going to go with this one. Worst candies on earth. That's right. Almond joys.
4: Nope. Delicious. No. Um, Delicious oh. coconut and Ew. crunchy nuts. I was going to say Amazing. coconut
3: is the goat. I, I'm going to say.
4: Let me give you a hint. Yeah. It's combining two of the most incredible ingredients, chocolate and peanut butter. Oh, Reese's. That's right. Into one candy for why. Okay. And also, that peanut butter in there is not Wait, real peanut you're, butter. You're it's crumbly. It's, it's baby, Let me ask you this though, Alexa. Do it's you, processed and disgusting. Do you disgusting. like the Reese's
3: Pieces? Or do you just not like the Reese's butter peanut butter cups? Okay,
4: Reese's pieces are okay. Cuz I love you those. The, you got the crunch, mm-hmm,
3: but I hate the butter cups. The
4: butter cups are disgusting. Oh, I can't, it's I can't believe what they I'm hearing. They melt everywhere. It's like They're I got a friend foul.
3: who will dip a spoonful of peanut butter in chocolate oh, that, and eat it. I'm so
4: in on that. That's gross. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. I, that is
3: disgusting.
4: Peanut butter yes. excellent alone what or the with hell jelly is or with a complimentary chocolate, item. Excellent as a complimentary That's piece right. or by itself. You have two superstars, you put them together you diminish their light.
5: There is uh, only one state, according to this, that is big on the Reese's peanut butter. Oh, sorry, there's two. What'd you call them? Reese's. Hmm. Reese's peanut butter. Cups. Reese's, man. Reese's, Reese's, Reese's. What would you What would you guess the two states are? Um, what, Hawaii are is one of them. Oh, uh, no.
4: I'm gonna guess probably a state that a lot of California. people would like to annex. Uh, Florida or Texas?
5: <laughs> no, uh, was, Texas is one actually. Texas <laughs> yeah, is there There's go. three. Didn't Not just three. Texas you say is one.
4: Yeah, the other two
5: are technically out west. The favorite Oregon. in Florida is Snickers. Uh Oregon is the other one. Yes, Oregon one and
3: more.
5: uh Montana. No. North Dakota.
4: Washington.
3: Nope. Oh it yeah, is Seattle's a good one.
4: can to remember. Oh, Kansas.
3: Kansas. Kansas is big
5: on the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. You cup.
3: know what? It seems that way because BK has a lot of bad takes and he probably loves Reese's Peanut Butter I Cups. I can't believe
5: you guys hate for the Reese's Peanut Butter They're Cups. They're terrible. Awful.
3: Alexa and I'm I have so a lot of takes. I'm so happy that you're on the
4: same page as me I on this. Salt and vinegar, this.
3: goats, Kit Kat, goats, yeah. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Get that trash out of here. Trash. Let's find out what Joey's favorite candy uh, is because I guarantee I, he's got some hot takes with it too. Yeah. I'm going to
5: say he's a big like Swedish fish guy.
3: Oh yeah, he seems like Maybe that Maybe sour, sour Patch Kids. Sour Patch Kids. Those are some good ones too. Alright, let's see what Joey's Got with that and we'll talk a little blues preview in the nashville predators next year on 101
1: espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
2: That big
3: Alongside Alexa Datton, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We've got Believe It or Not coming up in our next segment. Send us scenarios and we'll tell you if we will believe them or if we won't. But now we've got our favorite time of the week. It is time to catch up with the Joe Vitale out in Nashville as we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity
7: line. Joey V, how's Nashville?
5: Joey! Joey! <laughs> Joey! Hey,
7: hey, hey, boys and girls, it's, it's going really well. We're on a nice walk. Uh, beautiful day here in Nashville. Uh, sun's out. Went went to the Gulch area and got a smoothie. And and I'm just kind of getting prepped for the game tonight. But it's been a, it's been a wonderful day so far. So Joey, I, I want to throw a
3: scenario out there for you because Alex and I are on the same wavelength, and Tanner's over here with just terrible candy takes. Um, Ar- Alex and I are both on the same page that Reese's Reese's peanut butter cups are disgusting, but the Reese's Pieces bites are fantastic. Where stands you? Jeez, I, I'm going to hang
7: up the phone. I just can't. <laughs>
1: That's this what is I'm like saying, Joey. Week.
7: This is the second row. Alexa has kind of really really put me in a sour <laughs> I really get
4: under your skin, man. I love it. I I,
7: it. I, uh, I don't even know how to respond to something so asinine. I, I don't know. It's just it, it's amazing. The PCs are for the birds, and the cups are for the men. I'm telling you, the, the cups is where it's at, the peanut butter and the chocolate cups. You can eat it a hundred million ways. Put it in the freezer, fridge. Poke a hole through it with your finger. Just munch it in one bite. Uh, Reese's peanut butter cups to me are the—they are, the, they are the, the king honcho. They are the the main the main squeeze of all candy across the board. Anyone who wants to argue that, especially putting pieces ahead of that. Uh, you're just not my friend. I'm sorry you're not my friend anymore.
4: I'm not poking my finger through anything, so I don't know what you're talking about, dude. He's over here playing with this candy. I'm just trying yeah. to eat it. What are you I got doing? a refined palate. I don't need chocolate oh, and peanut on. butter being mixed dude. together, man.
7: Everyone at some point has eaten Reese's <laughs> peanut butter cup with just poking her finger right through it. You know what I mean? And then you wear it like a ring and you twirl it around. You kind of. I don't know. Maybe it was just me. Joe, you played with your food a lot, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I played with it a lot. I actually brought a huge bag of candy to the, uh, I, I coached the 2012 Knights uh, over there with Jamal Myers and Matt Lashoff and we had practice out in Pacific the other day and I, I filled up a whole bag of candy. We had a bunch of competitive games and I had the cups and the Twix and then uh, just different kinds of candy. And for every competition or for every game we played, the winner would get you know, a piece of candy. So I'd you know throw it out to the kids. And, and finally at the end of the day, you know, it was kind of funny. I forgot about the goalie. This kid named Grant Simmons, who I've had for two years, Grant's a great kid. He goes, hey, coach, what about the goalie? I said, oh, here's a twisty roll. And, and it was like a little mini twisty roll. He goes, what the hell is that? <laughs> I go, it's a twisty roll. No one made you be a goalie. Go on, get out of here. You're mad
3: at your dad. <laughs> no one made you be a goalie.
7: Jeez. That's These
3: fantastic. Pocket, forget about it. Uh, we're talking with Joe Vitale here, who uh, does not like our candy takes. But, Joe, let's talk some hockey as the Blues prepare for this Nashville Predators team. And we talked about it a little bit ago. Jordan Cairo, I, I think so many people are talking about Cairo because he's only got one goal on the season and he's struggling on the defensive side. But where we all seem to come out on this is the one thing Jordan Cairo is doing is he's getting scoring chances, it's just not going into the back of the net.
7: Yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's a problem, but it's a good problem, right? I mean, we've seen stretches of players. You look at Robert Thomas in the first three, three games. He only had three shots on goal, and he was manufacturing other things from, from passing. But, you know, you like to see him get more you know, of an offensive threat than that. So uh, that, that, to me, is a bad problem, like where you're not even getting your chances or your looks. You know, for Jordan Cairo, he, he's not only getting chances, he's getting really good grade-A chances. I mean, a couple backdoor captains, if they just go his way, maybe he's got three or four goals on the year. Uh, but Hellebuck played great in Winnipeg. I think Cairo could have had two or three there. You know, you go back to the Edmonton game, I think he could have had two or three there as well. Craig Ruby does not stay boring about Jordan Cairo's progression. Um, not one but at all. I think this is a kid uh, that when he catches fire, it's going to snowball in such a massive way, it's just going to start, you know, coming in waves, the points and the goals and the assists. Uh, It's just about kind of cracking that and just kind of getting into the rhythm. I mean, players right now, this time of year, they're dealing with this stuff. Ryan O'Reilly gets his first goal last night. Roman Yossi, uh, the captain for the Predators, who we're going to see tonight, he's struggling on the year. I think he had a point in his first game over there in Prague, but that he's been silent ever since. I think at minus eight or minus ten on the year. So, you know, good players sometimes start out a little bit slow, uh, but I do think Jordan Cairo his is just so much talent and so much ability where when he catches it, it's going to be good. I mean, his speed alone and his ability to shoot through traffic um, is just something that uh, has been there all season long so far. It's just not quite going in. So I think you keep at it, you keep at it. Maybe a different chemistry with a different line here tonight might spark that, whether that be with Robert Thomas and Teresinko. That's certainly how the, the way the game finished last night. And maybe Craig Ruby goes right back to that tonight starting in Nashville.
4: Yeah, Joey, let's talk a little bit more about that, because Barubi had Barbashev, O'Reilly, Kairou to start, Shen, Thomas Tarasenko, and then you got Kairou moving down to that Thomas Tarasenko line, and for Barubi it ended up working out really well. He felt like, you know, they came out with more energy, more physicality, and having those guys play together, you know, really changed Kairou's maybe, uh, you know... Uh, outlook on the game and, and was able to go out there and, and produce more, uh, maybe didn't hit the, the, the stat sheet as much as you would have liked, but uh, you saw more out of him in terms of, you know, bodies up front and, and just, you know, guys being more aggressive. So uh, for you, what do you see going forward in terms of the lines that Berube is going to put out there without Buchnevich and Saad?
7: Well, yeah, I think Alex, I think it's, it's a fair question. And I think that we're going to see him start tonight the way he finished off last night. And to me, the top, the top six are going for the most part. I mean, you look at, you look at O'Reilly, you look at Barbashev, and then he moved Braden Shen up to that role instead of Jordan Cairo. Uh, and then on the bottom one, there is, is Thomas Tarasenko and then Cairo. So uh, a lot of speed, a lot of talent, a lot of offensive ability on that Thomas line. And then you just have three very dependable older guys, veteran guys on that O'Reilly line, you know, and, and for the most part, you look at coaches and how they put lines together and it's different for every team. It's different for every individual, but they they tend to always try to find balance, right? I mean, that, that's the way we started, right? So you have O'Reilly, you know, dependable 200 foot guy, you have Brandon Saad, who's you know up and down winger, makes great decisions, high hockey IQ, proven champion on the left. And on the right, you have the speedster, the creative guy like Jordan Kyer. That's the way they start, right? That's the balance, right? You got a little skill, you got great speed, you got high hockey IQ, and you got two hundred foot players on on that line. But sometimes it just it, it just doesn't work, right? You know, I, I use the analogy sometimes when my wife and I were walking our, our five kids to school. Uh, we live in Kirkwood. We live like four blocks from school. Um, we got kids from, from 11 to 1, right? And we're walking down the sidewalk in Kirkwood, and, and everyone's in different speeds. My 11-year-old wants to take off, and my 6-year-old, my he's looking at the birds and the bees, of the sky and the flowers and picking stuff, and uh, his heads are all over the place, right? And then my 1-year-old's crying. He, he doesn't want to be in the stroller. He wants to walk. <laughs> and you have to walk slowly with them. So it's like, my point is, everyone's on different speeds. Everyone's different lengths. So I think, the way this is kind of configured now with these lines, you know, what was of getting ahead of things too much where O'Reilly couldn't keep up, possibly. You know, was was was, you know, let's just say a Braden Shin. Was he not on the same wavelength or we was he not in the same kind of webbing area of, of that offensive zone time with with Inkle and Thomas? So I think now Craig Bruby's kind of instead of having that balance where you got speed on every line, let's put three guys that are kind of like on the same to kind of same wavelength, I guess, uh, same speed with Shen, uh, of course, and then O'Reilly and Barbashev. And then on on the same token, the faster group with the Thomas and Cairo and, of course, Teresinko with his great shot on that side too. So, you know, again, it's not traditionally how you build lines, but at the same time, you know, uh, this coach is looking to find some sort of chemistry very quickly with this group because, you know, the one stat, the one stat that really stands out, which is a bit alarming, is you have to go back to Braden Shen's goal versus the Seattle Kraken in that first period, that was the last time a forward had scored a five-on-five goal. And so it's been a, it's been a little while, 230-plus minutes of ice time, five-on-five, where a forward has not scored a five-on-five goal. So he's got to find something. they got to start manufacturing something starting tonight.
3: Joe, a couple more minutes with Joe Vitale, who's with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Joe, this just popped up as you were talking about that. Do you feel like some of the slow starts for not just the Blues, but other teams, like you mentioned, Roman Yossi's going through this, do you feel like some of that is the ramifications of the preseason? Not so much to where there's so many games, but because there's so little games that the guys actually get to play with players that they're going to see on the ice in actual NHL level
7: style. I mean, it's possible. I mean, I, you know, I, I remember when I was in the league, it was, it was much different. You played four or five games. The first two were kind of for the, they call them the, the camp guys, or the junior guys, or the, you know, whatever. But in those last three, you you're pretty much close to a full lineup. And, and the league has gotten so far away from that. And coaches have gotten away from having that full group in those last couple of games, especially. And the main reason is because they don't want to see anyone get hurt. And I get that. But now you look at the same token where if you're kind of starting with your team, you know, that last preseason game heading into your first, maybe that's not quite enough time. You know, that, that's certainly one of the areas I think maybe. Uh, but I think, you know, to be fair, I mean, you're, you're missing Brandon Saad and Pavel Bucinavich. Yeah. I mean, this is a different looking team without those two guys, and, and not, to, not to pick favorites, but I think especially Pavel Butchnevich. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that he's so quiet, and he's kind of just does his own thing, but he does it really well. And He's one of those people you, you don't really miss until he's gone, and I think right now this Blues team is really missing his ability to um, pick up the energy in the locker room, uh, to be a threat on the offensive side of things. Um, his 200-foot game is incredible right next to Ryan O'Reilly, maybe the best on the team. So you, you're missing a couple of good guys on your top six, and what happens is, or at least what's happened to me in the last couple of games, uh, and you guys saw this last night. What, when you when you get down early in a game, or you get down in a game at all, or you're at a tie game, like we saw in Winnipeg for a long time there, or you know Edmonton Oilers taking one nothing lead, you can't chase the game and expect to also roll four lines the way Craig Berube wants to. I mean, I talked to Tyler Pitlick on the plane last night. You know, he was a bit discouraged. He was a bit bummed about how his first game went. He would have he loved to get more involved. He told me he just couldn't get on the forecheck. Just timing was off. He just couldn't get in the rhythm of the game. And to me, the biggest reason why is because when you're chasing the game, you've got to be playing your top six. You got to be playing three lines. you got to roll them over because you're chasing. You need a goal. But if the Blues can start getting back to that uh, th- that, that area where they, they start the game quick and they get off to a lead early, then Craig Bruby and any coach for that league, or for that matter, in the league, they, they feel better about rolling four and getting that third line going um, and getting that fourth line going, getting good matchups out there. But, but instead of chasing the game, you're protecting the lead, which I think this, this team, when you're running four lines, that is at its best. But unfortunately for this team, where the last two games, they find themselves chasing, and then the third and fourth lines maybe are not getting involved as much as they hope for.
3: Joey V, go enjoy the rest of the beautiful day out in Nashville. Make sure you avoid the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, and uh, we'll talk to you tonight at 6 for our pregame show.
7: Reese's Pieces, birds. See you guys. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Joe Vitale. Always love getting to talk uh, life with Joey V. And the one thing I want to mention, uh, Alexa, that he talked about, Pavlo Buchnevich there, uh, and I know it's a short sample size because it's only been one game that he played, but uh, according to Natural Statric, that one game where he played 16 minutes for the Blues, he created three rebound scoring chances and had two high-danger scoring chances of the line that he was a part of. So you might not think that Losing him is that big of a deal, and teams should overcome injuries. But when you take out one of the top offensive players on your team, that's what's going to happen.
4: Hundred percent. We'll
3: come back and have our believe it or not segment coming up in fifteen minutes. The Cardinals don't seem like they're going to get involved in the outfield conversation, but should they? So that's coming up in fifteen. Believe it or next, believe it or not, next here on one hundred one ESPN.
7: It's amazing. The PCs are for the birds, and the cops are for the men.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
8: Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm a You're solo on this one today, buddy. No, voice is everybody, everybody sing it
3: with me. Uh, uh, voice is cracking. Yeah. My voice ain't that strong, too. We're going to find out.
5: Believe it or not, I'm walking on air I never thought I could feel so freaky. Flying away on a
4: wind and a hill oh, oh,
3: T-Bone, hitting the note Man, I love Thursdays he does love Thursdays, Alexa. You do. I mean, that days. was an
4: excellent performance. These are thank his you, days. You. Buy tickets to that concert. Yeah. When are we giving those away?
5: T-Bone and company. T-Bone and company live from your local bar on karaoke you night. You know, you could <laughs> set up
3: like some type of Zoom or something and uh, have just uh, people you know come on from do? your apartment. A great idea. As I live
5: on the second floor and I have a deck. I could perform on that while performing down to the fans. Yeah,
3: people Might would. Be people, violation code. <laughs> people would love to find a way to avoid that.
4: Building management.
3: and sure. Hendrickson- Alexa Adam, Alex Ferrario. It is time for believe it or not. So you send us a scenario. We will tell you if we believe it or if we don't believe it. Let's start with this from the six one eight. Believe it or not, the Cardinals will trade for either Mike Trout not. or Shane Bieber this off season.
4: No. Doesn't it have to be Trout. It could be one or the other. I'm out. They are not doing that. I do not believe. It. Not going to happen. I don't <laughs> even think the Angels not are going to trade
5: Trout. What about Bieber? I'm not sure what Cleveland's doing, but I. If they're going to trade we, somebody
3: off of their team, it would be Shane Bieber. Yeah, because I, they got younger pitching.
5: I know we talked with uh, Katie earlier. Check it out on the podcast page, for by Dodge Tire and Auto Centers. <laughs> uh She said that she w- wouldn't be surprised if they were still in looking for one of the, like a top end ace, whether it be free agency or via the trade market. I I just can't see them doing it. So I, I even if Bieber were available, I don't think they'd make the move for him. So I'm not going to believe this.
4: I guess it depends on what their decision is for the guys who are currently in the rotation in terms of signing them long-term. because
3: That's what gets me. Some
4: it- of those guys are staying. Not all of them are going to flee the coup.
3: Yeah, because Michaelis is a free agent. Montgomery's a free agent. Ueno's retiring. Flaherty's a free agent. The only guy you have is Mats, And I believe Hudson has an option. And then yeah, you well, got we your- don't have to worry about him. No, he's the future ace. And then you got the minor league players. I mean, you would imagine they're going to assign one of Michaelis or Montgomery because otherwise you have nothing in your rotation next season. And go look at the free agent market next year. It is not very sexy in terms of names available to be in your rotation.
4: I actually might not. Shane Bieber was impressive to me in the postseason. I I love Shane Bieber. I'm just not
5: sure the Cardinals do it.
4: But all that money comes off the books next year,
5: and you know he's your ace, and you could probably lock oh, him I'm, up. I'm talking this off season. Next year, I wouldn't be shocked if they tried that kind of move for Shane Bieber. Wouldn't you try and get him this season? Promise so I just don't not know where you're putting next him next in. not
4: competition next year with all the free
5: agents. I just I don't, don't know how you. I don't know how centers. you put him in there because like, and You'd I know have to most one of the guys looking,
3: off of your rotation.
5: But I, we've been through this. Who wants? You're not selling Jack Flaherty low because Jack Flaherty's potentially an ace when healthy. Who wants? Miles Michaelis on an expiring deal, and he's an older player, so I don't think you get what you would hope to get if you were to move Miles him. Michaelis
4: is your best pitcher right now, by yeah. the way. Mm-hmm. And
5: Jordan Montgomery, they really like him, so they're not dealing him. So, I mean, of those three, and then Steven Matz has got, uh, what is it, three more years at $33 million? And, like, based on his injury history that happened this past season, I can't see you being able to trade him. So, so let's so do this it's already thing. locked up. Believe
3: it or not, believe it or not, the Cardinals could... The Cardinals could put one it's of their so starting. It's so implausible you can't no, even. I get a- <laughs> No, I'm trying to think of the proper way to phrase it. Believe it or not, the Cardinals could put one of their guys in their rotation now in their bullpen next season. Not. Because the only guys that would come to mind that could be bullpen pitchers I, for well, here's you the would thing be.
5: Is, in theory, they could, or but Matt's. I don't think they will. Like I don't no. think Matt's. Matt's didn't sign up to go be a bullpen. And Ueno's no. not doing it because he wants those wins. And you're not paying Matt's $11 million to come out of your bullpen. Correct. Hey, man, so.
3: I'm just trying to paint a picture right now. Hey you don't have to yell at Picasso I, I, for giving <laughs> you art. I like
5: your picture, <laughs> Damn. but I just took my red paint and put a big old X yeah. on it. Well, so
3: you're not invited back into my art gallery anymore. Believe it or not, the problem for the Blues isn't just St. Louis. It's around the National Hockey League. I just I just saw this, uh, our favorite Dom on the Athletic, um, ah, who hates on the Blues all the time, Alexa, but he just put this out here. Tampa Bay, Minnesota, Edmonton, Toronto, and Colorado, they all rank 20th or lower in goals per 60 minutes at five on five to start the season. All of those teams were top 10 last year in the offense. Believe it or not, the Blues don't have an offensive issue. It's a slow start like many teams are dealing with.
4: I think it's a slow start. I mean, take a look at the Central Division, the Dallas Stars sit at top at seven four and two or yeah. four two and one right and you know and that's you got the, not gonna last yeah the abs are slowly starting to figure it out but the blackhawks are up there which <laughs> i don't think lasts right uh we're in the middle of the pack blues are and then you got the jets the wilds are third from last predators and then the coyotes i, I think the division is completely upside down right now and because we're only through six games seven games however you you look at it whoever your act your team is that's going to even out. That's going to correct itself eventually. So, yeah, I kind of agree with that. It's not we're hyper focused on the Blues, obviously, but around the league, it's been a, a wonky start to the year.
5: Yeah, I think I'm going to believe this too because I think the Blues will get going five on five. Because we talked about this, and I think it was our first segment of the day where I didn't think this was going to be an issue for them going into going into the season. And the fact that they've just started off kind of slow makes me feel comfortable that. I look at this roster and I say they've got the depth to where this isn't going to be a problem. It's just injuries that are affecting them now and getting that chemistry because of the weird and wonky schedule that they had. I don't know about those teams. Like, I don't know if Toronto's dealing with injury. I don't know if some of those other high-end offenses that were last year are dealing with injuries or not. But for the Blues, I think it's a pretty simple answer is they're just dealing with injuries. And it's tough to get chemistry going when you play four games in like the first 13 days. So I'm going to believe this.
3: Believe it or not, the best case scenario for this Cardinals team this offseason is to trade for that impact bat.
4: I don't believe it. I think you got the money. I think the bat comes from signing a guy in free agent market.
3: And I don't think you're gonna you, I don't think you're going to spend your prospects that you're so high on to go get a bat when you have these options sitting in front of you that are money.
4: Of course. And they love their farm system. It's one of the yeah. best in baseball. They've worked so hard to, you know, essentially perfect it to where they want it right now. I don't think they would take that value and go give it to somebody else. The
3: problem is like who, who's Who's going to be selling pieces that are appealing? to That's exactly to you for what that I was going to say.
5: Was I'm not going to believe this. I, I think there'll be somebody that pops up that you'll hear the Cardinals connected to on the trade market. The problem is, is, that the hot stuff really hasn't taken off yet. I just don't know who's, who that is.
3: I mean, Alexa brought up Tim Anderson. I mean, are we overlooking the fact that Tim Anderson might become available if the I, White Sox decide to I don't move think on from
5: the whole reason? I don't think the White Sox are moving on from Anderson is because I think they pick up the club option. And the fact of the matter that they have said that they want to get a manager with more experience well, after that, Tony makes me think that they're still going to go for it. And that division is so say, winnable. The NL Central kind of sucks. Like I know Cleveland won the division this year. It was kind of like the NL Central winning the NL Central. We're like, hey, hey, you did yeah. it. And nobody else is very good in it,
3: though. Nobody in the NL East is going to be selling pieces away mm. that would be appealing to you I mean if Milwaukee decides to tank but they're not going to send anything to you and in the NL West I mean Cattell Marte with Arizona and that's about it because San Francisco I don't think have much that would be intriguing to you I think so they're
5: going to be buyers in the offseason I, I too. actually
3: think I'm I'm going to not believe this also I, I don't think there's anybody that's available via trade that is a good option for you compared to what's available in the free agent market
4: yeah i agree i think that's the move that's the way to go that's wild uh
3: believe it or not from the 573 nolan gorman should be a trade chip there's no place to play him without the shift
4: it's so funny to me i was there it was in new york when ali announced that nolan gorman was going to be called up And it was me and Derek Gould. And I think maybe John Denton was there. Just a couple of us standing around because not many people had stayed around. It was a getaway day, I believe. And Ali announces it in his office. And we all look at each other like, oh, my gosh, it's happening. Finally, what the fan base has been begging us to ask Ali. And we've been asking him every freaking game when Nolan Gorman's coming up. Here he is. He comes up. Well, now everyone's disappointed in the way he played. Now everyone wants to send him somewhere else. I mean, I get it. This is... Cardinals baseball it's baseball around the league this is how fans react
3: you're learning quickly Alexa
4: I I do think though there is such a high upside for this guy he's got so much power in that bat and you cut down the swing and misses and then you've got a guy who can play every day in the major leagues it's obviously a big problem to solve but I do think that it's solvable before I'm ready to give up on Gorman
5: I'm not going to believe it because I don't think there's that guy that's out there that we just talked about that you'd be willing to part with a guy like Nolan Gorman. And I agree with Alexa. I think Nolan Gorman's got some tremendous upside. Will he get there this season? Maybe not, but it's going to take him time. He's 22. And most said in his pressure yesterday, like most guys in Danny Mac said this to us uh, when he was on with us on Tuesday. Most guys, Nolan Gorman's says are in college still. Like Nolan Gorman is still a very young prospect for this team. And I think that, He won't reach the potential of what Kyle Schwarber is. I know that's a guy that everybody likes to look at, Kyle Schwarber, all they had a chance to sign him. Would it shock anybody if Nolan Gorman, well, I know it'll shock the texters, but (laughs) would it shock anybody if Nolan Gorman was like 70% of Kyle Schwarber? And like 70% of Kyle Schwarber would be really good. Like, Gorman's got 30 home run power. He's probably going to hit around 240, 250, to me, he's a perfect everyday kind of DH for you from the left side. But
3: my question is, what could you get for him now? And I understand where you guys are coming from. And you know what? If he does pan out to be that, that would be a heck of an acquisition or a piece to have for your team if you're wanting to make a run. But what if I told you you could get Shane, Shane Bieber with Nolan Gorman?
4: By the way, Kyle Schwarber, can we just talk about it for a minute? Yeah, we know he hit a lot of home runs. He struck out two hundred times. Yep. Yep. That's what you get like with him. That them. would melt the faces off of Cardinals' fans. I didn't I didn't oh, even yeah. realize
5: this until I was looking at his numbers because he was going off in the postseason. Didn't he hit like two twelve this year? He didn't have a high oh, average. it was
3: not a good average.
5: Two eighteen. Yeah, I was gonna say his average yeah. was really low. Like Nolan Gorman. But you know had what? You're a getting every year? Than Kyle you know what you're
3: getting every year? You're getting thirty-five plus home runs.
5: Yeah, and I think I think Gorman well I don't think Gorman yeah. will ever be a guy that hits like the power that Schwarber had. But I think he can hit, like, 25, 30 And Kyle Schwarber can hit from runs. the leadoff.
3: You don't have to, you don't have to protect I mean, Nolan Gorman. The,
5: the biggest difference between Gorman and Schwarber, besides the fact that Schwarber's got more power, is Schwarber draws walks. And I don't think Gorman will ever draw as many walks as Schwarber. Because yep. that's why Schwarber's the leadoff guy, because he gets on base a lot. So, 86
4: times this year. Yeah, so
5: he, he draws Damn. a lot of walks. I don't think Gorman will ever get to that point. But I think Gorman's a guy that, I don't think he's a leadoff guy, but I think he's a guy that has that 25, 30 home run power. Going to hit around that 240, 250 range going to get a bunch of doubles, strike out a lot, as we mentioned with Kyle Schwarber. He's just not going to draw the amount of walks. Uh, I
4: think drawing those walks is what they're going to work on with him because it's about patience. It's about yeah. his plate discipline and all play. of that ties in to not striking out. You end up drawing those walks as the the opposite, the, the converse to it. It comes so into I think play who the batting in.
3: coach is going to be too. Yeah, yep. uh, It gives you a little bit more optimism on that one. Let's wrap up on this one and then we'll get more into the Cardinals off, uh, outfield. Believe it or not, it was a bad decision to move on from David Perron. I'll start this. I'm not going to believe this. Have you guys watched Nick Letty play? Have you watched David Perron play? I have play? watched David Perron because play. Because
5: I haven't seen a game in Detroit yet. But
3: Nick Letty, Nick Letty, in my opinion, is one of the main reasons why Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl have not scored a goal yet this season against the Blues. Yep. He was so good last night. He broke up multiple scoring chances off of the rush from solely his skating and his stick play ability. I think he is the perfect answer for what this team needed in a pairing mate with Colton Pareko. And as much as it stings to watch David Perron score power play goals, we said it earlier, nobody's concerned about the offense, at least in this room. And I am so happy that the defense seems to be tightened up.
4: I agree. And I think Nick Letty The fact that he is here to stay for the next couple of years should excite blues fans and maybe it's not the sexiest way of of playing because he's not the the goal scorer but his defense is what's keeping this team together right now and you know with Bennington as the backstop that's the reason you're winning games you're three and two this season you have a winning record that says a lot especially with one of your top forwards out with an injury so uh, to me uh, I'm not going to believe it
5: nope I'm not going to believe it either because I think Letty's been awesome. I agree with that. And I think that's going to be something that sustains for this year. Then we'll see how he ages in the back end of that contract. I think the blues will be fine five on five wise. So I can wash that from the David Perron discussion of him not being here. The one spot I am concerned that the blues won't be able to fill the void of David Perron is the power play. Yeah. But if we're talking about that and the defense gets improved in five on five, I think at worst case scenario, they're at least a wash compared to when they had David Perron. I think it's still a win for the blues. So I'm not going to believe this.
3: Alexa, dad, Tanner Hendrickson, and Alex Ferrario coming up in 15 minutes. We'll have the PK and Ferrario rewind, but coming up next, it doesn't seem Like the Cardinals are confident in their outfield going into this season, so do they have to make a splash this offseason? And are there options to make a splash? We'll discuss that next
1: year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
6: You know, I think he he definitely was affected by his wrist. There's no doubt that he didn't have the year he had hoped for. Um, I think he tried to grind through it. But, you know, clearly we hope to see more. Um, When you're looking at at our overall outfield production, it wasn't where we envisioned it, especially, you know, when you flip back the calendar one year and as we were planning on on what 2022 was going to look like. So, um, you know, we still think we have talented
3: guys, That was John Mosellock talking about Dylan Carlson yesterday and alongside Alexa Datton, Tanner Hendrickson, and Alex Ferrario. He's not wrong with the wrist problem for Dylan Carlson. So he played 128 games this season and a chunk of July. No, it was uh, August. Yeah, August was where you kind of, missed a lot of Dylan Carlson. And look, the numbers he put up last season looked like this guy was going to be that impact bat that everybody was talking about. He had 266 with a 780 OPS and a 115 OPS plus. And maybe it was the wrist injury. But the problem is you got to a point this past season to where Dylan Carlson couldn't hit against right-handed pitchers. It was only against lefties, and everyone on this team could hit against lefties. And the problem is you see a lot of righties when you play in the National League so it seems like outfield is an area of focus for this team. But Alexa, hearing Mo talk yesterday, it doesn't sound like they're really focusing on making a splash in the outfield, this free agency. Because they did say that Tyler O'Neill's is going to be here and Tyler O'Neill's working out in St. Louis. They seem to be pretty bullish on Lars Nupar. They talked about some younger players, including Moises Gomez and Jordan Walker. And then you got Dylan Carlson.
4: I think that there are some options out there, maybe not big splash, but Andrew Benatendi, Michael Brantley, some guys that could come in and play a full season, and then maybe you have Carlson as your fourth outfield option. Maybe he platoons and he hits You know where you feel comfortable with him uh, in terms of... Uh, uh, and also giving him an opportunity to work on his switch hitting because that's a, one of his biggest threats you know um defensively i think uh, you like what he's doing out there maybe it's not your favorite thing him playing defense but i think it, he he's um you know a formidable defender out there For me, though, I think that there are some names in this free agent market that could be brought in. And again, not the sexiest ones, but that will make a difference for your outfield. Shore it up, make you feel comfortable, especially if you're still relying on Tyler O'Neal to come back and be healthy. Manuel Margot is an option. Will Myers has a club option. Uh, Tanner, you had mentioned Brandon Nimmo, who, you know, he plays all out full force, and that guy bleeds baseball I mean I, I covered him in in New York and he was a lot of fun and would fit really well into the clubhouse in terms of his chemistry david Peralta jack Peterson I mean these are all names that that they could check on and see maybe uh, you know feel out the the interest and in, and mutual interest in bringing these guys in who could actually make a difference for alfield
5: yeah i I agree that it's probably not a sexy name that they bring in, but I think that's because Cardinal's fans have such high expectations because like I think nimmo would be a Great name and impact guy that gets brought in here for this organization that could be a leadoff hitter. He's got some pop, got 20 home run potential in him, also going to hit a lot of doubles. Good good guy to have at the top of the lineup. I think the way they talked about the outfield yesterday in the presser made me think that they're going to go add somebody because they they basically said, you know, Carlson, was it a down year? Yeah, we think that the wrist injury was a big issue, but in another cut that Mo had said something along the lines of you know, we got to go into the year and have someone ready to go in case Carlson can't hit against right-handed right-handed pitching. Uh, the way they talk about Tyler O'Neal, I know they say he's going to be here in St. Louis. He's an exciting player, but he's got things to figure out. I think the Cardinals are done with Tyler O'Neal. I think they're going to look to move him in the offseason. I'm still standing by that even though he's using the Cardinals' training facility. So I, I think they're going to make whoa, a whoa, move. Whoa.
4: He's going to use the training facility and then they're going to get rid of him?
5: Yeah. yeah. I so think they're moving Tyler O'Neal. I, I'm not sold on the That's illegal, you, that. yeah, you, can. no, you can't do that.
3: That's what you can. not you can't use somebody's training <laughs> no, no, facilities you, and then play for somebody else. No, no. They're, they're
5: <laughs> going to talk about how great but he's looking. That's look a bold how, prediction. How, go, how good a shape he's in. And then he'll be like in Cleveland. Uh, hey, I, Shane Bieber, I'm okay with it. Yeah. See, uh, I I think they're going to bring Finish in somebody to be an every day. Starter
4: voting though in 2021, and that's why
5: they're not going to. The problem. Do, do you know His how many he's too way consistent? Too high. Do you know how many years I
3: sat here and said that they're not going to keep doing this with Paul DeYoung, and Paul DeYoung was back for another year. Well, look, that's I, Tyler O'Neill. I,
5: I thought going into last year sticking with And O'Neill's upside was a is way higher than DeYoung. Absolutely. I think the Tyler O'Neill experience has been one of those. I get it. He finished eighth. What was it? Eighth. You said in MVP voting yeah, two years ago. Gold
4: Glove. The as well, two years in a row.
5: The problem with Tyler O'Neill is you look at the baseball reference page, it's too much inconsistency and it's too much injury prone. But that's so what I think Mo said that they're going to have
3: to do something different this offseason to try and keep. Like, I'm not defending this because I, I I'm think, with you. I
5: think Mo was bluffing yesterday, if I'm being completely honest with you. Because you don't think the payroll's going up? No, that one I believe. Oh, okay. <laughs> if he was bluffing <laughs> there, but we got serious what do you mean by concerns. inconsistency?
4: In 2018, he went 254. Then he jumped up to 266 in 2019. 2020, obviously, just get rid of it, wipe it up the map. Didn't happen. 286 in 2021, which he finished top 10 in MVP voting. You loved his mm. defense as well, which is a huge part of him being out there in the outfield. And then this year he was injured. It's not like we've seen four or five years and and you feel like, okay, now it's time to give up on him. No way. He's I, way too good.
5: I think the Cardinals are at the point that they're willing to give up, not give up. I think, that's, I think they're ready to part ways and find something that's more consistent that they believe is going to be in here be healthy I think that's the number one thing is being healthy and the best ability is availability and Tyler O'Neill really hasn't had that and it, when you look at Tyler O'Neill, and I get it he finished eighth in the MVP voting two years ago to me that was a blip on the radar I don't think Tyler O'Neill is that player I I just don't think he is I I think you would have seen him repeat last season if he was able to this year and I get it he dealt with injuries but even when he was healthy I didn't see a Tyler O'Neill that I went yeah that's the MVP guy that they had I saw it for like a Weak stretch, and that was it. So maybe they don't move on from him, but I think they're going to look for someone that's going to be more consistent. And when you look at the guys that they have, Dylan Carlson, I think they're still high on him. So I think they keep him in the everyday lineup. Right field, I think they're going to go with a stop gap when Lars Newtbar or Juan Yapes. It sounds like Newtbar is going to be that guy before Walker's ready to go, and then Walker will take that spot in the lineup. And then I look at left field and I go, I think that they're going to be players in this outfield because they just don't trust what they have. I think they'll go sign someone. I've been on this since day one, since they were eliminated. I think they will sign someone like Brandon Nimmo that they can put out there in left field or, or put him in center, move new to left, and move Carlson back to his natural position in right field. I think they sign Brandon Nemo or Andrew Benintendi this offseason, and maybe they keep O'Neill as the fourth outfielder, or they look to move him and see if someone else wants to bank on some of his upside. Maybe you swap Tyler O'Neill, kind of like they did that Luke Voigt trade, where it was, let's move a guy in Tyler O'Neill, and we'll go get a high-leverage reliever from somebody, something along those lines.
3: I'm fine with Brandon Nimmo, but I think you have to go get yourself another bat.
5: Yeah, I agree. I don't think Nimmo's the, hey, look at this move we made. We, we did Brandon right. Nemo. Okay, what else did we get? Oh, yeah, nothing. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's that, not that enough. can't be he's your, not your bat. Yeah, yeah. he's no. not your bat. He's a perfect leadoff, complimentary piece that helps lengthen a lineup. He's not that guy that protects Goldie and R. And if you
3: were to tell me that my offseason included Brandon Nimmo and Wilson Contreras, I would call that a win, and I would consider that team... It, it's going to be difficult to put them in the conversations with the Dodgers and the Braves regardless for how good those teams are, but I would say they're a lot closer than what they were this past season with moves like that. But again... Are you able to pull that off? And is that the focus that the Cardinals are are going at this upcoming offseason? That remains to be seen. Alexa Datt, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll take our final break and come back with the BK and Ferrario rewind here on 101
1: ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: here on BK and Ferrario. Huge thanks to Alexa for hopping in with us today. Always appreciate when she joins the show, especially for BK. It's a breath of fresh air in here when BK's out.
4: Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for letting me uh, dispose all my trash takes on the show today. We, we get a big, with my refined palate.
5: We get a lot of fresh uh, takes in because yeah. BK's out all the time. That's He's true, never yeah. not here. So I we'll,
4: learned that Joey Vitale puts his finger through his food yeah, that, today. Uh, and I've, I've look, I support Joey Joey, the... thanks for joining us, but uh <laughs> I support
5: guys that are... I, I I support everybody that likes the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Not Don't do what Joey it. did where you're sticking your finger Don't through it. That's your bizarre. Use it as a, little a ring. weird. I gotta separate myself from Joey there. I We
4: you... need to cut all this up and just put this out there. <laughs> okay, this is
5: going to be a fantastic
3: re-listen. And if you want to re-listen to that conversation and figure out what the hell we're talking about with Joe and more, you could do so on our podcast page 101ESPN.com. Uh, thanks to our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We also talked with Katie Wu, got her thoughts on the press conference from John Moselock like yesterday. Plenty of blues conversation, plenty of cards conversation. And as we close things down before the fast lane takes over. I just wanted to, to preview a little of tonight between the blues and predators. Um, I would expect Robert Thomas and Jordan Kyrou to play together. And I was just looking at this from last season. So according to natural stat trick, they played a total of 316 minutes together last season uh, on a line. Their expected goals Uh, last year on that time frame were 15 and they scored 22. So if there's one thing I know uh, about those two is they'll find ways to score goals. And Grant Francis sent me this text message too. Uh, If you ever want a team for the blues to break out of their goal scoring problems, last year they scored 23 goals in four games against the Nashville Predators. So could be an opportunity tonight to uh, find the offense and continue to stop complaining about five-on-five play.
4: It's a Central Division matchup. They've already lost one game in the division. They've got to get this game, and yes, break out offensively. I agree.
3: And you got to start scoring goals that aren't from your defensemen and aren't on the power play. We'll see if they can do that tonight. 7 o'clock puck drop against Nashville. I've got your first Community Credit Union pregame starting at 6. For Alexa, for Tanner, I'm Alex. Stay tuned. Fastlane coming your way next from 2 to 6 here on 101 ESPN.
7: It's amazing. The PCs
1: are for the birds and the cops are for the men. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
5: This episode is sponsored in part by U.S. Bank. What if I told you there's a credit card that's made for every kind of foodie? That's why I'm excited to share the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card with you today. Cardholders get four times the points on restaurant deliveries, takeout orders, and dine-in meals. Yeah, you can rack up points when you eat out or you order in,
0: Plus, the card gets you 2 times points on groceries, even delivery, streaming services, and gas or EV
5: charging station pit stops. And if you apply today at usbank.com altitudego, you'll earn 20,000 bonus points after spending $1,000 within the first 90 days. You deserve a credit card that gives you more and more and more. Apply to become an Altitude Go cardholder at usbank.com altitudego. The creditor and issue of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply.